And we're back. Maybe. Georgia. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and grabbing my laptop for me like the nice person he is, is... Saul, bringing you guys technically episode 148, but this is 147. Yeah, so uh, as many of you probably know, definitely from our social media that we chose to do uh, last week, for whatever reason, we were just destined not to have an episode. Uh, I'm I'm truly not sure as to why, but... I had electrical problems Sunday when we originally were supposed to be recording, uh, so that didn't end up happening, though we did get the electrical problems fixed. Uh, and then when we recorded the next day, uh, we had our audio go to hell, and that's normally okay. Uh, we've set up for that to, with a backup, but our backup audio uh, also had an error that came into effect about 20 seconds into the episode's recording. Um, so it was the perfect storm of issues. Um, we're changing up our setup so that we can hopefully see these things happen um, in in front of our faces, or at least in a way that we can quickly reference without having to be distracted. And with that said, we're going to get on and hopefully have a good week and get back to the show. Uh, first thing I want to do is, is just mention how grateful I am that so how nice many of you were. Uh, not a single person, really, besides Josh Drago and his... Uh, trying to be funny uh what, what do you call it uh hazing that's probably the word i'd use yeah uh but outside of that we got some genuinely great remarks of people just you know wishing us luck on getting back and how much they enjoy the show and how it's, it's a bummer they won't have one this week but they're ready for us to come back uh, and that was very nice to see so i appreciate you guys and we are hopefully back i really can't imagine that there's gonna be an issue with this episode um but if even if i have to sacrifice my name is mayo to the pagan gods i will do so um to make quick, sure this like, episode goes through. It's a quick one hour platinum. Yeah, a quick one hour platinum. Not even one hour, really. I imagine that if you really just set a Vita down and just tap the screen like crazy, which I mean, I guess it's the same with a DualShock 4 at that point. You just tap on a button like crazy. I was watching a kind of funny podcast when I did it, and I was just pressing X, I think. There you go. You, you've done it. Best, best dollar you ever spent. Probably killed the pixel on that Vita screen I had. <laughs> it was sacrilege. It said, this is what you used me for? Yeah. You don't even look at me? Yeah, it's who terrible. knows? Uh, anyway, we are Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. So if this is your first time seeing us for some odd reason, uh, then of course you can find us in video format over on YouTube where you can watch our lovely mugs. And if you're watching right now, you may notice that our center set piece that has our logo is gone. Uh, it's messed up as well. It was part of the craziness of last week and i don't know what was going on uh but we plan on getting that fixed and getting another one in uh, and if you want to listen to our smooth sultry somewhat lispy voices at least on my side then you can go over to google play music itunes uh podbean where they have an app where you can actually comment and speak with us on there if you don't like to have social media and normally our social media is where we go through and ask our community's take question which we pose at the end of every episode uh, and then repose it uh, to essentially all of our social media so that everybody can respond to it. And then we can kind of discuss the community's feedback of any given question, at the beginning of the next episode, before we get into the, the rest of the episode, uh, because of what happened last week, uh, I debated Wednesday, just doing as a community stake anyway, but I decided I just didn't want to give into that week and just come back have a fresh episode. So there will not be a community's take uh, that we are answering from the previous episode since the previous episode technically doesn't exist. Um, uh, and we're just going to go through clean slate it. There would be a new question asked and we'll get back onto that next episode. Uh, but again, thank you all for your patience and we're going to get into this the, the right way. And that is always very simple, very warming. Saul, 
how have you been besides sick? And what have you been playing, if anything? I had an STR. <laughs> um, but <laughs> just to clarify, he did not have yeah. an STI. That was in, in his haze of being uh I'm not gonna say medicated, his haze of just not feeling good and being somewhat blank minded. He actually said that blank minded. Blank minded. See, I just said blank minded. Um speaking of which, Blake, let me know if you saw the PS4, because I haven't started it. I downloaded it before I came over here. I doubt I'll get to play any tonight. Um, but you know how I was talking about a multiplayer game that uh, you could we could all play together that would have assigned roles and stuff, and it'd be fun? Mm-hmm. I found the game. It's Red Dead Online. Weirdly enough, you can have bounties. You can you could have a fisher, a hunter. You can have all kinds of things. And I was actually looking at how well it played and and the general reception and if it was still populated even though you don't have to play like that you can play in a private game um turns out like red dead online is a lot better than gta online where the story aspect of it is actually pretty good of a story and so i'm gonna try that out tonight so i actually didn't know that just to make sure i'm following you correctly there is a story component to the online yeah like i watched like the first uh like the the first little bit of creating your character and stuff which is a lot more in depth than what uh, GCA was, but yeah, it's like you, uh, you're a prison and they break you out and the person who breaks you out is a woman and, and she's trying to find the person who murdered or she knows who murdered her husband and made her a widow. And there's like five people that I guess you're going to eventually hunt down and kill. Hmm. And then you're kind of, it's all about similar to the story of the game. It's, it's, it's all about getting a base, uh, a camp started and stuff like that. But, um, what I really, really enjoyed about red dead Two, even though I didn't finish the story was the world of it is amazing. Um, the environment of the game is amazing. The characters are kind of cool. You can do so many different things like you can in a Rockstar game. And so I'm, I'm just going to try that out. But for what I've actually, actually played is I, I downloaded, I, I, I said this last time, but it didn't make it to the air, but uh, I tried days gone again and I, I had two crashes, which is not super bad. Like within, uh, Maybe six hours over the course of this past week that I've played it. I think there's a real question brewing here. From your disk drive to your crashiness. I think it's my PlayStation 4, but I'm not buying a new one. Oh, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that at this point, I think we've kind of got to stop blaming the games because it seems like there's a common denominator here. I wasn't going to blame the game. The only game I still... I'm not saying you are either. It's just for people who've been listening to the show for a long time, I, I used to agree whenever you'd say you had these problems, like, hey, blame the game. Even if I didn't have the problem, blame the game. It's, because I may be the outlier. What's but weird. as we're slowly learning, your well, PlayStation well, is the outlier. What's weird is I played Dark Souls 1 yesterday for a little while, and I don't have crashes in that game. I didn't have crashes in Madden when I was playing that. I didn't have crashes in a good few games. Really, Realistically, lately, it was Jedi Fallen Order, Days Gone, and I'm sure that there's another game that has caused crashes. And I'm um, sure what you're getting at, to at least some extent, is that these are games that had histories of bug problems and crashes. Days Gone? I mean, not Days Gone. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order really didn't have a, a huge history of what happened to me. No, 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 no. But I mean, but what I just mean by in general is that there were a pervasive number of bugs that people were experiencing. So a crash and not pulling your save data just kind of seems par for the course and in line with that happening. Well, and I wonder if there's something that is that is common amongst the PS4s that it keeps happening to. 
because it's weird like for you not have an issue but for me to have an issue but that issue is not by itself there's I, I know hundreds sounds, thousands of other people that have these issues and i know this sounds weird but i actually start to think uh you're on a ps4 pro just like i am so mm-hmm. if i start to kind of process of elimination down the differences that me and you have mm-hmm. uh, i think that one of the biggest things is that regardless of what mode you are playing in you're always playing in 1080p so i think what may be happening is that the error may be somewhere in the line of how the game is supposed to recognize your tv and then look at it and then super sample down to 1080p what you may be having problems with and why i'm not is that i'm playing on a native 4k resolution that not, might, the game is not native might, 4k well, but i'm playing at a native resolution that's not meant to be super sampled down. down. That, that might be a thing too for me is that um, you know we're going to redo my game room here in this week sometime and that, that may change because I'm getting a 4K TV or I have a 4K TV I'm putting in there. And so, not, not that it'd be worth a lot but you you bought both Days Gone and Star Wars digitally correct? Digitally and both uh, on release day actually. No not Jedi Fallen Order I didn't. Yeah, but okay, Days so Gone I did. From there what I think you should do just to test the theory out since both of those games are known quantities of issues on your system, see how they react when you're playing them in on a pro without super sampling. And then see if it's either a problem in the game's handling of super sampling or if it's something in your console that when it comes yeah. to super sampling be, is be giving in, you issues. I'd and, be interested because those are both games like... Well, I say I say they were both games that I want to go back to eventually. Days Gone was really, really fun in the... Um, in the I really do want to say five to six hours that I played it over the week. Um, but uh, the story still doesn't grip me as much as it's supposed to, but I actually liked that aspect about the game. And because, it won't until later. Well, even then I didn't, I didn't like what was going on with like boomer and stuff. I really mm-hmm. didn't care, but I actually liked that because it kind of was like, okay, I'm just kind of, I don't have to worry about paying attention to this kind of very deep story of any kind. For now, I was going around with just a sil- uh, an oil filter on my pistol killing s- zombies silence, and it was really fun. And I think part of the greatness of that game in terms of the way that I think the it builds is that when you're playing it from the beginning, the pacing from a story perspective seems a little odd because you're right. You're kind of like, well, I'm not quite invested. But the upside of that is it lets you get to grips with the game's mechanics really well before yeah. it actually starts bringing in the, the story stuff that would really make you care. I will say what and I will. As it starts to grow on you. And, and, I, and I say this as somebody who I also did not immediately care about the stuff going on with Boomer because they didn't set it up, but they set it up eventually. Boozer, not Boomer. Oh, it is Boozer. But you said Boomer, so I, I was just following boomer. you. Um but uh, whenever it goes through, I think the game does a good job of eventually making you care about Boozer uh, in a time where you feel like you've mastered, well, not mastered, but you've. It, it's very similar to Horizon, but I think even to a better extent where the game is constantly introducing new mechanical items that, pl- that do different things and control the hordes in different ways, even in the late game, which f- just feels good when a game does not play its entire hand in the first third. Or well, the first half. Instead, even going up to the last quarter of the game, you're kind of getting something new. Yeah, well, I, I like in, in these kind of games, not to say The Last of Us did it any like worse or anything, but like I actually prefer the way that Days Gone is telling the story compared to The Last of Us, where it didn't shovel tons of information to me at once. I actually enjoyed kind of being able to take a break and not have to worry about what is going on in the story, remembering characters. The story so far is, is very linear. And... Last of Us was two, but it was also way kind of more deep to handle, and, and also because um, you couldn't exp- you couldn't go off and explore. Yeah, you couldn't. This go game off gives and, you the ability to yeah, go off and be and like, hey, I, just, I want to break off. For a it's minute. very similar to Horizon, and I, th- I actually think that the the 
it's it's almost what I think of uh, exactly my opinion on Horizon was that the story left a lot to be desired, but the gameplay was the best part, and the free roaming was the best. And part. I'm still curious, as to, and, and I'm not saying you're wrong or even, but I'm curious to see what your sentiment on the story is after you actually beat it. Yeah, and um, I, I, I will probably go back to it um, with this 4K TV to test that theory out. Mm-hmm. I, one crash though actually scared the crap out of me because it was one of those that you uh, you go to the trunk and you loot the trunk and a zombie pops out and hoes you. <laughs> uh, and, and it, it crashed, crashed. It crashed as that happened. Like it 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 actually. Um, it, I opened the trunk up and the zombie sprang on me, which gave me a startle there. But then, as the so- the zombie was making a sound, that's when the crash happened. And then, just the, the blue screen popping up scared me as well, too. I know this sounds weird, but doesn't that sound like you know Kojima's talking about his next game potentially being a horror game? Yes, it needs to. Doesn't be. that kind of sound like something Kojima do, where it would be a jump scare, and then on top of the jump scare, as soon as it's happening, you get the added scare of the unexpectedness of the sudden blue screen. He did that, but on. PT did that. I thought well, I, PT had an error screen in it. Yeah, you're right, but yeah. it wasn't the common PlayStation. It wasn't. One, the, I don't. But know it if, was just within the game. If it would be more cool if he could find a way to completely mimic the Playstations, or if it ends up being a multi-platform game, all the place, all the systems. Yeah. To where it's like you legit think that you've gone. But it'd be even crazier if not only does it crash, but inside of the game it it crashes and then the system reboots within the game and, and it's the exact PlayStation startup sequence and then the, the exact UI. Doki Doki Literature Club did something similar to that too where i never played that like but i know through, what you're talking yeah, about yeah i actually won't i won't spoil it in case anybody wants to play a game i highly suggest everybody to play it um i don't think it's on consoles i think it's only on pc just due to the nature Pretty sure of you're right what yeah. you have to do but um yeah other than that though this week i, I i've been on my slay the spire um marathon a little less i've only played it like twice this week um but yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot of time this week for games anyways. So the amount of time that I did get to put in today's gone was Monday. Uh, I believe I played it some Sunday too, and then like Thursday. And I played a little bit of Dark Souls Remastered yesterday. I was talking to Corey in our Discord about something that I thought would be fun. Instead of doing like a stream or a, um, a uh, Let's Play what I was thinking about doing is, you know how you can natively stream on the PS4. Mm-hmm. And I thought about one night just natively streaming a, let's, a, a full play of something and all anybody who wants to join just hop in a party and we all hang out. That way, instead of having to worry about a Twitch chat to read or anything like that, you know, we're all talking. And it, I think that would be kind of fun for like a hangout night, like sure. once a month where we get together and do that. Not to replace us all plays or stream or anything like that, but as a supplemental thing, it's so much easier just to go home and hop in a party with friends and play a game and stream it at the same time than it is to set up Twitch and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I think we'll have to kind of look into what we want to do there, but I think it's a fun idea. Now, you know, it'd get real crazy is if you and it'd make a game a little easy, but have it to where the first number of people that come in to fill the number of spots that you can get for summons, everybody come in and just play the game all in, you know, together. Oh, I didn't mean like multiplayer. Oh, I know. I know. But I was saying that would be an interesting addition, even if it was just one night of that. Because games like that, and maybe not that game, but maybe find another game that you can kind of do that on. Whereas everybody coming in, the first people that come in, first come, first serve, essentially. And yeah. bring everybody in, and then it's something where it's all multiplayer. Well, um, we were really good you know. with having community plays, in a sense, for a while there. Like, it was pretty much me, you, Ryan, and John all hopping on playing weekly, multiple times a week, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been wanting to find a game. I know for sure Ryan, which is why I said uh, he's going to be interested in Red Dead Online, because I know he still plays it. So, Ryan, if you are listening, 
hit us up on Twitter or send me a message on PlayStation or something, and we can eventually play Red Dead Online together. Um, I think John plays with them too. They have like this little saga he does, like a little mini story called the Jones Boys that he posts on Twitter. And uh, I don't know if that's that's John with him or who else. But uh, what have you been playing? Mine has been a little sporadic. So since we've last been in an episode, if you follow us on social media, you've already seen it. But I've gotten the Platinum for The Stick of Truth. Uh, restarted it, downloaded it, played it, uh, which I was talking about in the last episode that actually went up uh, and everybody listened to. Um, went from there and started playing uh, A Way Out. Uh, and I played that with uh, one of the friends of the shows and listeners, Mr. Matt. Uh, and... Matt Hunt, if I'm remembering correctly. And if uh, what we're doing there is, I, I mentioned it last episode that didn't go up. <laughs> and I, I think it's part of what Saul was talking about with Red Dead Online is the idea of playing a game where everybody can kind of co-op together. And then that was tied into our long-term wishes of No Man's Sky eventually doing something a little bit more pointed in a way that people could come together and do stuff. But either way, uh, a way out has been very good. I've been really surprised by not only the quality of the game in terms of the way it looks for the budget it had and the ability to play it with others um, and whatnot. Uh, but I actually think that the way that it interweaves co-op has been very cool so far. So the majority of the game has existed in this thing of where you essentially are playing the game and normally you see each other's screens. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by that is not that you see the other person's screen, they see yours only. It's that both people see both sides of the screen. And so you can end you can independently see what the, your partner is doing and what you are doing. So that even if you aren't walking in the same area, you have an understanding of what you need to do. And the game does that on purpose because it lets you kind of understand and see and have a frame of reference for the other person without having to look for just necessarily markers. Uh, and you can use that in terms of figuring out... <laughs> noises uh anyway uh, figuring out what you need to do to best co-op with each other so it, it, they use the great extent of uh having somebody know that you're about to walk by where they can see you and they talk to a guard to make them turn around so you can sneak by mm -hmm. um parts of the game where you're running from the cops in a section and i really love this this, this is one of the times where instead of it doing where everybody sees both each other's cutscenes or, or uh, not cutscenes, but playthroughs instead what happens is the game was doing this thing where you're both running, but you're not together right? because of, you get separated. So then what happens is the camera will focus on one player and the player who controls that character will go ahead and keep going. But then you'll get to a part and then like the camera without cutting will travel through like an air vent and come up into a different floor. And then, and then I'm gaining control because it's picking up where I'm at. And then I go through, go through some stuff, go down and then you see a TV and the camera just zooms in on the TV where you see the other character running through. And then suddenly it takes away the film grain and it's back to that character. So it's like That's seamlessly cool. moving between each other flowing and like sometimes for 10 second intervals, sometimes for 20 second intervals, whatever. And it was just really cool. I like the idea of the game and it's got one of the more interesting things. I've, I, you don't see in a lot of games. It's got a platinum and a very story driven game that has nothing to do with the story. Uh, most of the time a game, you can expect at least half of the trophies to be involved in definitely with this type of game to be involved with just getting through each section of the game. Yeah. And it's a game that's set up in kind of chapters anyway. But instead of having it be a platinum that you get specifically for doing each chapter of the game, every one of them is things that are completely optional within the, uh, within any given chapter that you have to kind of seek out and do. And that's how you, that's how you get the trophy. And a lot of them are hidden. They require a lot of weird setup and stuff that you may not, may not see. It, it kind of makes you, it, it's fun. 
One of the things we talk about with Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild and why we think people kind of hopped on it was because it gave a sense of freedom that most games don't give. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm sure that there's things where the developers saw it happen and they're like, I technically never thought about that combination existing, but it does. Like people being able to freeze a rock, get behind it, swing it, and then catapult it and then jump on it to be able to fly all the way across the map. Yeah. It's it's weird stuff like that. But Metal what's this? Solid five. Yeah. And what I like about that, though, is it's, it's forcing you to rethink the way you normally think about games. A lot of the AAA games these days... Uh, and that's part of what made Bethesda, I think, compelling for a while was the touch and, and interact with everything, even if it made it buggy. But most games teach you of, well, these are the only things you can interact with. These are the only things you can do. Whereas this game, you run by, there's literally a trophy for letting a, a bird out of a cage when you're at the, while you're at the prison, while you're escaping. Uh, you happen to just go by a bird cage, and if you don't think about it, you'd never think, I can interact with that bird cage. But you can. You walk over to it, you hit square, the bird will go out fly away you get a trophy for it and i just i like that it's Hmm. a way to make you stop and go hey you know what if you're if you are a trophy hunter and this has been i think true for me and matt just from playing together i know his sentiment it's been kind of nice because instead of trying to rush through the game we went into it thinking hey worst case scenario we get a platinum on a pretty all right game right best case scenario we get a platinum and a great game experience so it kind of ended up being this thing of now that we kind of started realizing that, like he let the, tr- the bird out and it kind of surprised us and then a trophy popped. We didn't even look at the trophy list. Uh, and it was like, oh, wow, that was a trophy. And so now with each chapter of the game, we go through it with this idea of let's explore. Let's see what the game will let us interact with before we just choose to move on with what the story demands of us. Hmm. And I, I've really enjoyed that. Uh, but outside of that, um, let's see. I think that that is it. Uh, I played a little bit more Blasphemous, but not en- uh, not enough to say anything. I've done a lot of other stuff this week in a good way. But, you know, I don't know. I guess games frustrated me a little bit this week, so I didn't play them so much. Yeah. <laughs> I pretty much just played when we scheduled with Matt to play, uh, to do um, a, a way out. So I've, I've really enjoyed that. And uh, with it being on EA Access, I think it's a great game to get for $5 a month, and you get some other cool games in there like uh, Sea of Solitude, which I intend to start soon as well. Um, so, you know, with all these uh, delays going on, it's kind of feels good to have something I'm occupied with. Yeah. I did buy, I haven't started it, but I did buy Call of Cthulhu. I mm-hmm. was already interested in it, but I just really didn't want to pay full price because I just was a little iffy from some of the reviews I read, but it was on sale this week for $10. That's not bad. Uh, when it's normally 40 So I said, yes, I will absolutely do that. So we'll see. Next week, I probably will have played some of that and we'll see what ends up happening with it. But real quick, um, since we don't have a community's take, uh, I need, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this smoothly. Uh, anyway, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into news, and I will have a small, small what? Uh, break, where I get up and get a tea from my lovely wife because I'm very thirsty. And I didn't get one. Um, anyway, going into the news, first things up here. Following a week of delays prior, like we just talked about, Dying Light 2 joins the lot with Techland delaying it for an indefinite amount of time from its original spring 2020 release window. Funnily enough, the developer just released a performance patch for the original game, Dying Light 1, uh, that improves frame rate, drop issues, uh, and makes for an overall more stable experience. Um, A while back, they had mentioned that they were going to have another uh, so many months of DLC on a game that was already um, aged, and I don't mean that in a, you know derogative way it's just it's an older game and it's it's normally uncommon to see a developer take a game that's not really any kind of 
you know, online multiplayer based. Mm-hmm. It's really more of a single player experience with online options. So anyway, I'll be right back. I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, which is kind of weird because it is odd that that game got a uh, update. I played the game and I don't really recall uh, it having any frame rate issues. But um, next up, despite being announced nearly two months ago, Sony's PlayStation Productions have yet to put out anything that might remain the that might remain the case, as we've heard little since the initial announcement. And the long in development Uncharted movie that's supposed to release under this division has received yet another delay. Speaking of season of the delays, after losing its sixth director. Originally aimed for December 2020, it is now pushing for March 21. Crazy delay there. It is one of those issues of a movie I don't ever want to see come out because the casting for that movie is terrible. It is not Nathan Fillion, and we already got the best uh, Uncharted little short anyways. You know what's more funny is that it's come full circle. I don't know if you've seen this, but you know Tom Holland's been attached as young Drake for a while. Unfortunately. And I, I, I don't, I'm not really either way about it. I actually like I love, Tom Holland. I love Tom Holland. I don't, why? It I just seems like a weird young, fit. Yeah. There's so many art actors that could pull off Nathan Drake so well but as the, an adult. The more funny thing is that if you remember when the, when the movies first started being talked about uh the for a long while there mark Wahlberg was going to be Nathan nope. drake and now as it goes full circle he's supposed to be sully i'm telling you there is sony pe- people who make movies with sony make some big big drops sometimes so i don't know how they do it i just don't just cast nathan fillion if you don't cast nathan fillion then cast nathan <laughs> or um nathan drake huh <laughs> um <laughs> oh man the voice actor for him why can i i threw myself off with uh yeah, you've done it to me now, and even though I Nola know his North, name, um, Nolan North, thank yeah, you. Nolan North even looks similar to Drake. So cast him instead; he'll even sounds like him. But why? Why would you ever <clears throat> consider Mark Wahlberg? And why does it have to be Young Drake with Tom Holland? I don't get it. We already saw Young Drake in Uncharted Three. I don't. We don't need more of that. To well, me. you know what I think it really is. I think the problem they have is that this whole time. I think it started being this thing of Uncharted uh, got the movie deal pretty much after Uncharted 2 came out and blew up, right? Yeah. And I think it started being to a lot of people, well, now that we're the movie's still not out and Uncharted 4's out, and a lot of people started looking at it from the viewpoint of, well, Uncharted 4 was the, a, a kind of interesting idea of exploring someone who's kind of out of their prime, still chasing this lifestyle and what that what effects that can have on them. And, of course, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Skulls or whatever, or the, the whatever the, the movie was called, Um kind of did the same thing but you know people are interested in seeing that and a lot of people think hey not only do we have uh, either nathan fillion or uh, nolan north both people who are uh, obviously look similar looking to drake with uh, nathan fillion going as far as to actually be part of an uncharted fan project that was fantastic um, yeah but people are okay with looking at the idea of them doing that but you know why i think sony's not is that they look at it from the standpoint of if they're going to make this movie if it's successful, they want to make it the franchise. How do you make a franchise of Uncharted when you start with your main character old? Ask Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard's done it. Die Hard has exceeded thirty years at this point. <laughs> that is true. I will true. say though, if I had to, if I had to make the Dreamcast of this movie, it would be Nathan Fielding as Nathan Drake. We already saw him do it brilliantly. I would do Tom Hanks as Sully. Oh, I, I actually I love that one. I'd love to see. You know what's that. more funny about that? Isn't there a movie called Sully where he's a plane pilot? I have no idea. There's a lot of movies Tom Hanks has been in that I've never seen. Um, and then for Elena, uh, I can't think of her name. She was in uh, Gone Girl. Hey. Um, and doesn't he already look like Victor Gosh Darn Sullivan? 
Yeah, he does. <laughs> and it's named solely as the movie. We figured it out. We've, we've got the casting for you, Sony. Rosamund Pike. Listen to us. Is, it needs to be Elena. Look at that. Tell me that doesn't look like a, a pretty decent Elena. Yeah, you've mentioned her before in your casting call for this. Yes. But I do think it's a good fit. I actually think Tom Hanks as Sully cool. is a is a good fit. Besides, I'd, it'd be interesting to hear Tom Hanks talk like Sully. And I mean that from the standpoint of part of what you'd want from Sully is for him to still remain most of the character that he is, which is kind of like a dirty old man. Tom Hanks is solely, uh, Tom Hanks could pull off any character you throw. Oh, he can. He could pop Nathan Drake. (laughs) As a matter of fact, Sony, why don't you have him as retired Nathan Drake? And then you show him going through flashbacks of his life and Tom Holland is young Drake. That's better than what you got now. Who cast Mark Wahlberg as Sully? I don't know. You're not making good decisions. (laughs) Mark Wahlberg is a goofy actor and he knows it. You know what's weird is I used to not mind him, and then he he started to get to this point where I'm like, I feel like I haven't liked you same, in a movie in a long he time. He does the same role every movie. Yeah, but you know what? He makes a lot of money. I'm not hating. I'm not hating either. I'm just saying there's way better choices that <laughs> yeah. you can make, uh, including time, not making Venom too. While we're still talking about PlayStation Productions, another product that was likely related to the banner uh, was that was canceled is a short animated film for The Last of Us that aimed to bridge the gap between the first game and the upcoming sequel. Images from the project were posted by the agency working on the product, but quickly removed after I, what I imagine was a very heated phone call from Sony. Um, that actually sounds. Like I'm a really assuming cool they idea. didn't really want this out. There was the, the screen grabs are really interesting. So it was going to go through and show the in-between years, and it was going to have, like, there was a little bit that you got to see of, uh, apparently, Sol, I mean, uh, Joel is around a fire, and they're having flashbacks to some of the things he's done with Ellie and his own daughter and everything. And every time a flashback would hit, uh, you would see a different art style. And just as an animated project that's trying to go through something and convey emotion, I think that that's actually a great use. Uh, if every flashback is kind of doing the same thing that The Last of Us did, where every season is kind of meant to encapsulate a specific t- a tone and mood, then you can do that with the animation. If you go through and say, you know, the point of this flashback is to show um, life a, before. What a weird art style. Oh, all right. But I kind of dig it. Like I, I I'll be curious to see what it would it, it would have turned out. It as. reminds me of Scott Pilgrim, which is not the first thing I think of when I think of The Last of Us. It's yeah. weird. But I, but here's the thing. I actually like them trying to go out. I, I don't understand the point of canceling it. I don't see. I mean, definitely since it looks like it was a lot of the way done. Now, would this have been Sony's movie division? This or? would have been PlayStation Productions, which now the movie division is part of. So this would have been a, just a, a, a short animated film. But, you know, uh, it is what it is. But if you want to check out those screen grabs, I think it's pretty cool. And, I, again, I, I just like to... I, I wouldn't even mind, you know, games do this a lot with things like color palettes and whatnot, but I, what I love about animation is that there's nothing that's weird about animation suddenly stepping out of the animation style it's in. When it happens, there's that slight jarring moment, but the rest of the time you're kind of like, oh, I get it. Like after a couple seconds, you're you're in and you're like, I understand what's going on here. This is a tonal shift that they're trying to show something. And as long as there's a through line animation style that it comes back to eventually, then your brain wraps around kind of what it's doing. And I really like that idea, so... Oh, well, it'd be really cool if they eventually just released what was done, but looks like that's not going to happen. Anyway, next up, Doom Eternal looks to be following the trend of many shooters with what looks like the introduction of a battle pass for players to work through as well as boosters that will presumably let players pay for quicker progression through the battle pass. These can be seen in Giant Bomb's recent 30-minute gameplay video towards the end. So first of all, if you're interested in seeing what the game looks like, which it does look really fun and phenomenal, uh, go check that gameplay out. Uh, If you're kind of like me and this battle pass is slightly worrisome just because of recent Bethesda uh, dealings with like the Fallout first and whatnot, um, 
I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that they're smart enough to not take a big franchise again and uh, over monetize it and mess with things and get a fan base up in arms over nothing. I think if it's something as simple as a battle pass, I think that would have been fine if the boosters are aimed at speeding up battle pass progression. Depending on how it's done, they I don't might... trust Bethesda with anything that is optionally uh, earned. And then then with the other side being money is the other option. I don't trust Bethesda like anymore. Yeah. It's weird, uh, and part of it comes down because one of my favorite things about the original Doom 2016 uh, reboot was the uh, creation. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called now. It's been a while since I played it, but I, I played it a lot and I loved it. You could make your own maps uh, for multiplayer and go through, and people could play on them, and you could set your own spawns and stuff up for different things. I thought it was a really cool idea, and it was kind of breathing life into that same idea that they had going into like Fallout of like, hey, we're gonna let consoles have mods and going into uh, Skyrim as well where yeah. it's like hey you know there's no reason that consoles can't have a little bit more flexibility like you expect from PC but with Doom Eternal they're taking that out uh, and that kind of seems like okay I'm not against you taking it out as long as it's not like you're seemingly doing it to be able to add it in later for a monetary purpose Right. but things like this kind of bring you back to that thing of even if it's not going to be that uh, it's very similar to something I was talking to someone about the other day uh, it's like when someone steals from you, at least for me, I know that I never think someone would steal from me until they've proven me that they would. But once they've proven me that they would, even if they don't steal from me for another 10 years, it's still the uh, moment that something comes up missing, you have that thing in the back of your head. Hey, they were just here. Do they start stealing my stuff again? And it's, it's not that you want to believe it, but it's that in the back of your head, you know, they're capable of it. Right. So it's a, uh, you know, it's one of those trust is hard to get back. And I think Bethesda's had a very weird 2019. I don't think 2019 was very kind to them. Um, and I hope to see them rebound, uh, but it's going to take some, uh, a lot of goodwill moves. Uh, and I've not seen that from them just yet. So we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but I hope doom eternal is very good. And does it, and it, they see from the performance early on that it does not need to be over monetized uh, with weird optional things um, that it, we'll just see it, a lot of it comes down to seeing what it is and if it's game breaking, like some of the fallout um, or pay to win, like in a sense of like fallout first was, but next thing up, uh, this one's kind of interesting game freak, the developer behind the long running Pokemon series recently released little town hero for switch. But it appears that similar to the company's last non-Pokemon outing, that was uh, the beginning of this gen, Timbo the Badass Elephant, uh, that the RPG, a Little Town Hero, will be coming to PS4 in both physical and digital format from Japanese publisher Rainy Frog. Now, I don't know if it's coming to uh, PC or Xbox. It's not mentioned there. But with it being a Japanese publisher, it makes sense that it's coming to PS4 first, if not anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what that ends up coming down to. Um, you know, that game was interesting. It didn't review super well, like you'd expect from a team behind Pokemon, but it didn't review poorly. Right. I'm interested in seeing what it was or what it is, you know. It's so. a, it's one of those games that I'm waiting for it to go on a really big sale. before you. And actually, the thing is, is I'd be more likely to play it on Switch. I just feel like it costs too much. The, the ironic part is on PS4, it's well, probably going to be cheaper. Well, didn't it launch at 30 bucks? Yeah, but it's still 30 bucks for something that's an unknown quantity for me. But it is so, something yeah. that does feel more right on a handheld from what I've seen. I couldn't remember if it launched at 30 or 40. I think it was 30. I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, anyway, uh, next up in the news, despite Kingdom Hearts 3's not too far behind us release, 
Nomura has stated that Square Enix has two new teams working on Kingdom Hearts related content, as well as a team that wrapped, as well as the team that wrapped Kingdom Hearts 3 recently. And lastly, it's mobile department uh, with the added bite of info that one of the teams will be releasing a game, quote, surprisingly soon, end quote. Uh, since then, Square has created a new Twitter account for what they're calling Project Xehanort, with the profile revealing a new mobile experience arriving in spring 2020, which I, if you would have asked me, before they came out with this, I already thought they're having a game coming out sooner than you'd think. It's a mobile game. It's yeah. just kind of from development time standpoint, it makes the most sense. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm not hating that at all. It's just that it made sense. Uh, the name appears to be a working title, though, uh, with a guess the name campaign going on where 10 winners will be selected from the entries if they can guess the actual name with Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, becoming what is undoubtedly the best-selling game in the series thus far by a pretty large margin. It's no surprise to me that Square Enix wants to tap into that fan base quicker uh, and with a quicker turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, but four teams working on Kingdom Hearts is interesting. Yeah. I my, my somewhat of a thought here is that it's not that they're wanting to pump out as many games. I think on, on surface level, you think, well, they're wanting to pump out essentially four Kingdom Hearts games in the next two or three years. I'm not actually sure that's what it is. I think one thing that might be happening is we have a team that's working on a game that could end up being cross-gen, could. And then we have a team that's probably working on either a spinoff title, and it might be a spinoff title for the Nintendo. Wouldn't be surprising to me. It would make sense. Uh, And that last team could be working on what's going to be essentially the big first next-gen only Kingdom Hearts. And what may end up happening there is we may see these a little bit more years apart and it lets them have more time to kind of ferment and go. The, the big thing about this, I think, is that just because a team has started working on something does not mean they've entered full production. A lot of this, I think, comes down to teams that are going to be working on outlining what the plans are for the next few games with Nomura kind of looking over the story and general direction yeah. and then letting someone else be the, the main producer on it, essentially. Um, and we're going to see uh, maybe one mainline game or even spinoff if you want to call it that's at least a more traditional like kingdom hearts uh, in the next two years i think that's potentially possible um but we'll wait and see that's kind of where we are yeah i'm kind of interested in the direction that they're going to go after the key war or key war keyblade war saga is over or what's the official name for that the, the dark um, seeker saga. the dark seeker saga that's right um I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, again, I, I really my biggest thing I hope from here is that they both understand uh, the somewhat uh, disappointment from the fans on top of the really great sales for Kingdom Hearts three. And I hope they look at both of those equally. I, I hope this is not a Kingdom Hearts three was a little less than what it probably could have been in the eyes of many people, uh, but it sold better. So this is the direction we need to start going more shallow, not as much content just to get the game out and make sure it looks good. Yeah. Uh, I hope that's not the, the, the way that they choose to spend this series just because it just, it sold well. I hope that they do a mixture of looking that there's a lot of new life and new blood in this series with a, with new fan base coming in. Uh, but also look at what made the series kind of work and see if they can kind of mesh these two together to where you can get something that feels more clean and more kingdom hearts appropriate. Uh, but also feels new and like it's trying to breed out new blood. And I think what better time to do that than with the start of a new saga. Yeah. So you can kind of hit the best of both worlds. It's very similar to like what God of War chose to do with its soft reboot, where it really isn't a reboot. It is still a sequel, but because of it being a sequel in a completely new setup, they have the freedom to kind of go, we're going to change the way we play the game a little bit. We're going to change the way that you normally structure these games. Uh, We're going to change the way that we do storytelling with these games. And 
I think there's a lot of ways that they can make it still feel decidedly Kingdom Hearts while doing something that's new and drives in and, and appeases part of the new fan base. So right. We will and, see. And I, I am excited for that. Yeah. Uh, next thing up on the news, leaks abound. We've now had someone share a video of the supposed PS5 design and all, even going so far as showing the console startup sequence. Now, here's the thing. It's not real. You can go look it up. It looks good, and I'm not actually, whoever did it, I'm not, it it actually looks great, and if it's what ends up being even remotely close, or even, let's go this way, even though I'm 99% sure it's fake, even if this was the real thing, it looks great. The the, the problem with it right now is that with the PS5's push towards the, the solid state drive and quicker loading and talking about eliminating times where you're not playing games, it seems antithetical to me to have a system startup sequence at all when you probably won't have to have one on top of the fact that not only is this a system startup sequence, but the one that's shown in this video is like 10 seconds long. It's, it's not that it's, it's, you're going to have to have an initial C, uh, system startup screen screen anyways, just for the, um, uh, seizure warning. Well, and again, what I say, if they're going to have one, and I don't think it's impossible to say they're going to have one, but doesn't it seem like something that would just be the PlayStation logo seizure warning and that's it. Two seconds. Uh, yeah, but there might be some kind of regulation against health warnings that have to be visible for a long, certain period of time. I don't know. It's possible. I mean, games that normally do uh, and that could be something that warning just or does. only two two seconds. But either way, it it feels long winded for something that's aiming to be quick. Well, and I'll tell you why why this is a fake thing. Um, first of all, it has the App Store and Google Play on on the screen and what this is supposedly taking you to for the qr code that shows up on the screen is to the playstation 5 setup website why it has google play and app store with no other context on there is weird but also the five is too close to the s and ps5 way too close it is not it is not the same no, yeah trust it's, me it's not the same distance as the ps5 it, it looks great logo. and actually the, all the console sound effects itself are really nice. and this could just be this could just be a um a, a, an early build of one because the console itself looks fantastic. That is exactly what I want in a console. You know, the weirdest part of it is that the most believable thing of it actually is the console design, even though I'm not saying it's real. Just can we, can we please, the PS4 has it now. Can we please get rid of that orange light when it's in sleep mode? Can we have it? I don't, I, I don't really mind a dull blue or something. Mm-hmm. I don't like the orange, light. but it's off to the side. It's not near as bright and there's a lot of different things about it. But what I thought was interesting is that most of the design language looks like what they're already doing. We see Sony with the, with the announcement of the new logo say, Hey, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. And what was the PS4's main design thing? They said, we wanted to hark back, harken back the base model PS4. They said, we want to harken back to the PS2, which is an era that people loved uh, a lot. So we wanted to kind of look at the PS2 and, and when people think of the PS2, most people actually think about the slim PS2 because it was the most popular version of the console. Uh, and it was the one that lived for the longest. You know, they stopped making the fat version after about three years. And then for the next 10 years, they made the slim. But with the, the, the slim PS2 and the Xbox One X are my two favorite looking consoles. Because they're sleek, slim. They're and sleek, they're slim, they're minimal. There's, yeah. there's nothing like... Mi- but minimal with a, with a stylistic flair. Yes. Like, we were talking about that work the other day. And I was like, the PS5 or the PS4 Pro looks fantastic. I hate the look of the slim. The slim's rounded and ugly in a way. I don't like the look of the slim at all. The PS4 Pro looks really good, but the way that the the PS2 slim and the P- Xbox One X is just a a sleek box is what gets me. I don't like the the edges on the PS4 Pro 
I don't dislike them, but I don't like those in comparison to just something sleek. Mm-hmm. That to me is not sleek. I don't like cutouts on things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but what I was getting at real quick is that, you know, when you look at the PlayStation 4's original design language, uh, which is trying to mirror back to the PS2, and you have this line in the center, and then if you look at this, it kind of looks like, okay, going back to that. There's a line in the center, but it's not a light this time, and it's not even a solid divide. It's just a piece of, uh, it's like a little piece of just flare plastic that's not very big uh that acts as a separator between the two and it's like if you took a ps4 stretched it out a little bit widthwise, rounded the corners off uh, and then put the indicator lights that saul was speaking of the blue and the orange instead of them being on the front or in the center or down that line instead they're wrapped around the right hand side yeah i don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that design and actually it looks believable. Yeah. And, and if you look where that sticker's at in the top left corner, it looks like I that imagine would be that, the, that would be where the PlayStation, PlayStation logo emblem would, would be. Yeah. yeah. So it, this, it's not saying that it's real, but it's a believable design that I actually think looks pretty good. What I like about this so much is that it is very similar to what the Xbox One X looks like, except it's a little rounded on, on the two front corners, mm-hmm. and that light bar on the top sets it off, too. Mm-hmm. It's very sleek. It's very minimal. It's it, 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 it the, the only thing that I don't like about the Series X is how bulky it's going to be uh, in terms of where it's going to be at. Um, I much prefer stuff like this stylized, even if it has to be wider, but slimmer. Um, and I don't, I, and I've said it before, I actually like the series X design, but for me, this, if this was the PS five, that is the way better looking console compared to the series X. And, and yeah, you know, over in the Facebook that you can go and join, if you want, it's a Facebook group, uh, triangle square to PlayStation podcast, where we talk about stuff, ask the communities, takes questions. And, and of course all that, um, Someone shared a picture of the the back of the Xbox Series X, uh, Mr. Yeah. Josh did, Josh Drago, and he was talking about, you know, making jokes at the expense of it, which is fine. I mean, it, it was, a, like I already mentioned, I actually think that was somewhat on their mind when they were looking at all that, is kind of this idea of like, because the system is just kind of there, it's going to get talked about a lot, and... Since it's not just like a genuinely com- okay, in my, in my opinion, that's we we do have to say that here. But the way I chose to go about it is and the way, and my response to it was, I don't think that the system is remarkable in either sense of the word. I don't think it's I don't think it looks so good that you're just like oh my god yeah that. But I also don't think it looks so bad that it's, oh my god. I think my biggest problem with it, and it's not even a huge problem. It's just kind of where I'm at is. It's just a kind of bland design. And I mean bland in the sense of it blends in. And I think some people are going to like that aspect. I like it. It just blends in. But it just looks so unremarkable for a console and in a sense of where normally you – most people – and I'm not, okay, I only say most people. A lot of people, and it, it could be most people – like their electronics to be simple, minimal, and have, but they always like it to have some kind of a design flair where you look at it and you go, I know exactly what that is because the design language is there. And the problem is, is if you took all the labeling off of the Series X, it's, it doesn't look like anything. It kind of just looks like a black plastic box. And yeah. to some people, they're going to really like that because it's going to fit in somewhere and then you'll never really notice it again. So if you're someone who doesn't like seeing your consoles, you can kind of just, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. For the people that know that it's going to have to go up somewhere because it's too big for their entertainment center, the the upside of it is it's so big that it has to go up on the top, but because it's so 
basic looking and easy to blend in, you probably won't notice it once it's up top as long as you've as long as it's not blocking your TV. So and that might be what the idea was. How do we have to make the system? Well, it's got to be big. We got to make sure that there's enough room for air. What do we do? Well, we gonna we, if we're gonna make it big and there's a chance that people can't put it under entertainment systems, then what do we do? Well, we can make it look like a PC, gives us the room we need. It ties into our PC roots, and then it also makes it kind of unambiguous where you just see it and you're like, oh, it's just a thing. Well, for me, the, the I guess that is that is the difference between what the Series X looks like and what the PS what that looks like is that that actually has a wow factor to it. Like there's something about it uh, how sleek it is. It's like the, the Xbox One X. When you look at it, you're like, that's a sleek looking system. When I look at a when I look at the Xbox Series X, I don't. It's a sleek looking system, but there's nothing about it that wows me inherently just by looking at it. It's almost, it's just sleek in the most basic meaning of the word. It's like it's minimal and it's smooth. Yeah. Like so it's, it's like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's sleek in, in that sense, but that all it had, that's all it has going for it. I don't think that there's ever been a bad looking console for, in my opinion, other than the PS4 uh, Slim. I was never a real big fan of the original PS3 just because of the glossy uh, top got scratched so easily. I the love same- the design, and I actually love the jet black, but I'm with you. I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. And it then, scratches. You look at my one in there. It's in pretty good shape, but it's still scratched. Yeah, and that's that, that'll happen no matter what. The uh, I had the PS3 Super Slim, and and um, on the front and the back of those, there was a bar of, of, of a plastic glossy black. I don't know how, but like within one month of owning it, it's sitting on my desk at home, nobody touching it or nothing. It was scratched to hell. I still don't know how that happens. It's just like, I, and there's one concerning part on this is that that black glossy streak on the top looks nice, but it would be the one spot that it would be the one spot that's going to get scratched. If you put game cases on copy your console. Yeah. Guaranteed. True. Um, but yeah, it, this if this if this leak is real, which I hope it is, just because I like how much the console looks, then you fooled me for having your your startup screen being so weird. <laughs> All right, next thing up, rumors are abound that PlayStation may be entering into another partnership with Kojima for his next game. These are mostly baseless from everything I've seen, but stem from uh, Kojima's recent visit to PlayStation's Japan studio, which he posted pictures from on Twitter, uh, and you know. If Sony does, and I really, the thing, I think that that partnership was uh, good for both Kojima and PlayStation. The thing about Death Stranding being divisive, in my opinion, is that just like we were talking about with the Xbox console design, is they know that even though it's a divisive design, it's going to get them talked about. And getting talked about right now is worth more than almost anything. I think it's the same thing for Death Stranding. It had people talking about PlayStation and Kojima, and it helped both of their brands in the sense of their brand recognition only went further up. So, and yep. not that they weren't both already high, but it right. just, it gets, it kind of keeps you in the limelight and it's a good move that they come out with Death Stranding so close to other moves that they're trying to do about showing the consoles off. So if you look at where Death Stranding's at and then they show off Ghost of Tsushima and they come up and they, in February, hopefully they show the PS5, you kind of got a lot of PlayStation in a way that's, you're, you're hearing about it and, and seeing buzz about it without them having to show up at all the events that we've been kind of lamenting their, their absence from. So... It, it, this might actually be a weird, interesting move in disguise that ends up working really well for them, but it's hard to tell <laughs> right now. And I, I think that both would be eager to work with each other again because I think it was Death Stranding was at least successful enough to warrant its existence uh, from a monetary standpoint, and then everything else was just kind of like, hey, we just get extra oomph here. Uh, and it's just one of those things. No, There is no problem with being considered the console that has the weird 
very different AAA game that is so different from anything else you'd expect. It's kind of what Sony's done for a long time, and that's a good thing. Uh, and you see it happen all around the board. Nintendo taps into that often, and I think Microsoft's starting to tap into that too, of having the somewhat off-kilter AAA game because it kind of gives you that thing that all things want to go to. You want to have that slicey, artsy vibe where you, it draws people to you because it's not the same as everything else. Ninja Theory. Yeah, that's actually what I'm talking about. The, the purchasing of Ninja Theory, I think, was very smart. Yeah. On that Ninja Theory and Obsidian front. are two of the hard hitters that I'm excited to see stuff out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, while on rumors, Cyberpunk 2077 was allegedly delayed due to performance issue on base model consoles with the original Xbox One giving them the most issues. It is claimed that the developer had a deadline, and if these issues had not been mostly solved by January, the game would have to be delayed. Something to note here, and I'm really glad that he said this because I was already thinking it, but you never know in games development. Corey Barlog of God of War and Sony Santa Monica fame came to question this rumor by saying that, quote, every game runs badly until you optimize for the hardware in the final push before gold, end quote. Uh, a comment that holds extra weight considering that God of War in particular performed very poorly until weeks out from its release. Uh, and that's something that Corey has been very vocal about multiple times in multiple different interviews. Uh, God of War, a lot of people were really shaky on God of War because three to four weeks out from its, it's supposed to be gold, mm-hmm. it still ran poorly. Uh, but clearly we understand the game we got at launch and it was great. So, so it, it's hard to say, but those are also very two different scaled games. It is. And, and this is the kind of article that like I was saying that that every now and then there's something that happens in the gaming world that, put, that puts the toxic annoying fanboys out into war with each other. And this was that article of people saying, oh, we'll see, now the Xbox is holding things back. People, they're talking about all the current consoles. They're talking about the base PS4 Slim and the base Xbox. They're not talking about just the Xbox. Now, you, uh, yeah, part of what you're doing is talking about, this really did add some fuel to the recent fire of the whole Microsoft having their their exclusives run across the original Xbox. has nothing to do with that. This is exactly, people, and I, and I understand why people would want to immediately jump to that. Yeah, this, this is nowhere near the same kind of thing. But I, I do think it is different. It's it, hard to it say. Is. I mean, I, at the root of it, I, I will say that there is definitely some truth to the fact of this is a game that that clearly people have, since it originally was shown, have thought was going to be a next-gen game. And because of that, it is having the most problems running on the Xbox One original, which was a very weak console. And so was the original PS4, but the PS4 did have the advantage. So, of course, the one that's going to give you the most problems is the one that has the least amount of power. Yeah. So when you look at that, though... It does make sense. Well, okay, so if a game that looks like it should be next-gen is having problems on the base model, then how do games that are actually made for next-gen going to scale down to the base model? And I do think it's a good question that would... I would love to see Microsoft actually... I don't know that they would, and I don't know that it'd be worth their time, but I personally, just from a technological standpoint, I would actually love to see Microsoft go, hey, we've heard fears and, and worries that games are going to be held back, and then show us a section of a game and be like, here's a great example of how we can show you how the game runs on here and how we can scale it, go all the way back to the Xbox One and show you the differences between I, them and uh, show you how far they could push it. I other. think we'll see something like that at E3. Um, I mean, I personally would love it. I just yeah. don't know... It, I, from a marketing standpoint, I don't know how much that would help the casual gamer, but it might really help them because it would air some of the confusion out. One thing that also kind of uh, is is prevalent in this is too is that people don't understand that the games that are gonna the exclusives that are gonna be on both of these systems are gonna be 
exclusives. They're going to be first and second party games made by Microsoft. And they're really. highly optimized for that one suite of consoles. Yeah, and people are all of a sudden assuming like this is like this is one of those kind of situations where if you go back to the the full article, people you can tell where people are just reading headlines because it's it specifically says that it has problems on PS the original PS4 yes, too. Yes. And, and this this has nothing to do with next gen hardware on either systems. This has to do with uh, so, uh, one of them just this one one of the um, I can't pronounce his name, um, but he was talking about how these are getting these are holding things back, and that's what I've said all along. Console gen should not be this long, and then people buy the mid the mid gen refresh and they complain. Oh well, now the new console's coming out. Well, first of all, you did it to yourself buying this mid gen console refresh. Yeah. Second of all, the more and more we go farther into the future with game optimization, which is going to be one of our main topics, is that you're going to see less you're going to see diminishing returns you're not going to see the jump that you, you did not see a jump from the playstation 2 to the xbox 360 or playstation 3 that you saw going from that to the ps4 it's just you did not see that big of a jump period and you're not going to see that going this gen people are running out and this is going to be pop up later to buy five thousand dollar 8k tvs this gen is not 8k i'm sorry we're not going to get that till the very end and that's going to be 10 years down the road easily there's no way that ever that that games are going to be running in 8k and that is going to be a normal thing for for the average person playing games um 4k just in the past two years i would i would even go back a year and a half it's become the new norm for tv resolutions for in in households it's become the most afforded the most affordable in terms of the resolution to the pricing ratio you can get a 4k tv cheaper uh, you can get a, a, a 55 inch 4K TV for like 300 bucks, 350 bucks now, where you can get a 27 inch 1080p TV for like 250. Like there, there, it's it's. There's no reason not to upgrade at this point. Yeah, that wasn't the case two years ago. Even two years ago, that when the uh, Sony 55 inch that you came out, that was 550 dollars, and it was a, it was not 55. It, it was a 43 inch. 43 inch. And it was 550 or 650. Uh, it was 650. I just bought a 43-inch 4K HDR TV mm. yesterday for 220. And I, and this is not from a comparison standpoint of what I own versus what you own, but as a somebody who's interested in the technology, I, I'm actually really curious at how much different your TV from my TV looks. Yeah, uh, and, and, and from a standpoint of but how how much to, and and this comes into something, it, it's kind of going into what you're talking about and. For a second, you're arguing that you know 8K is going to be 10 years down the line easily. But the ironic 10 part years of before your, the average consumer has it. I get I get what you're trying to say, but at the same point, people not even three years ago were saying it was going to be another five years before the average consumer had 4K TVs, and that's already not true. People so were saying you, the same thing about 4K when it first came out. And it sure, happened. but what what I mean by that is, and it brings up Moore's law. So Moore's law for anybody that doesn't know it is the technological rule that states that the number of transistors on a microchip doubles every two years while the cost of computers is halved. So you get double the processing power for half the cost. Yeah. Now, that technically does not account for diminishing returns. No, because but what it comes down to are created because of that. Diminishing returns are created because of your inability to process the difference that these microchips processors are actually bringing to the table, or because they're being used in a way that's like, well, this this, this much micro uh, microprocessors lets us run at 8K, but the human eye cannot see that much of a difference between 4K to 8K, probably none realistically it, well, the crazy where thing there's is, already people that look at the, what they consider to be diminishing returns from the jump from 1080p to 4k, which is more noticeable 
Especially after seven Then feet. what's going to be for 8K? Seven feet is, is what is that? The That is the proven, or is it eight feet? It's it's one of the I two where I think it's five it's, to seven feet where if you're, after you get out of the five to seven foot ratio, you can't see the benefits of 4K anymore. You can see the benefits, but you can't see the differences between that and 1080p. If yeah. that makes sense. You yeah. can see the clarity. It's, it's, and, it's harder to tell yeah. the, the improvements. Now, um, and, and, but so. that's the thing is that I highly, highly, highly doubt 8K will be a consumer product at, 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 at an affordable price in the next 10 years. It's genuinely I mean, hard to well, say. Well, I should say by the end of 10 years. But yeah, you know, and I kind of, I, I do kind of want to lean into Moore's Law on this because I feel like we've already seen it happen with 4K, surprisingly. I'm going to kind of cut in the middle and say that we'll see it anywhere in the in the range of five to seven years. Uh, I could get seven years. Which still puts it at the end of that console generation if we follow the last few that we've been doing. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting to say the least. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll just kind of have to see how that this, ends up this going current out, gen, but. though. This current gen of gaming is not going to be running 8K. <laughs> no, no, it won't. Uh, not natively. For sure. Uh, anyway, next up, Blue Point Games' insistence on that their next project will be their most ambitious by far is further reiterated in a quote from their newly updated website. They claim their goal is to, quote, define the visual benchmark for the next generation of gaming hardware, end quote. Uh, now, what's interesting about this to me is that there's two things. Saul has often talked about what he thinks they're doing, and he's kind of changed his a little bit. But I think that this definitely gets us to the point of it's very unlikely that blue points working on anything to deal with emulation. And I didn't really think so anyway, cause it's not who they are as a company. Uh, but I understand the need to go there. They're a company that's always prided themselves on bringing back old experiences in a new format. But so to be fair though, it just, they don't say a game. They say project. They don't. No, they and don't. then they say that this will be a visual benchmark. Not, no, that, not yeah, that's again, the thing. That doesn't, but if it's the visual benchmark for next generation of gaming hardware, it's not, you're not going to be able to do that with an old game unless you're remaking. Okay. What I'm saying with emulation, you're not going to pull that off. So what I think here is that this does tell know. us that this comes down to an individual game. Not that they don't have multiple teams, be, but what, it's unlikely. What if, what if this is not going to happen, but what if the emulation uh, system that they're making or the, the emulation platform that they are making for PS5 is it could add ray tracing and all kinds of things to games from last year. So, so what if? But how do you do that without? Because if it's if it's emulation, you're having to run original code it's and then a super secret it. algorithm. <laughs> Either way, uh, the other interesting thing to note there is that that is quite a hefty goal uh, for a developer that has staff of just around ninety people. Uh, that's in a very stark contrast to a lot of developers. By the way, so, the, the cheapest. 8K TV on uh, Best Buy is on sale for 2100. It is normally 3000. <laughs> that's a dude. That's that it's is really con- that's actually a really that's good that's consumer level. Yeah. Well, I, no, it's not. I wouldn't say it's the consumer level. What most I mean consumers that, aren't going to pay. It's upper consumer, but dude, that, what I mean by that is that that is a consumer price enough. It, it's the same yeah, point of OLED has been considered consumer price once it got down to the 3000. Upper class consumer. You got to remember, um, OLEDs used to be around five thousand dollars. That's true, but also we just now got it so that some games, not even all games, are running native four K yeah. on the current gen systems. <laughs> yeah, let alone. But games are not the only games. thing that TVs deal with. Just to I'm, I, well, I'm talking about, I was talking about in relation to the consoles. Yeah, sure. We're not getting eight K this gen or this right. coming gen. <laughs> Next thing up in the news, and we're almost towards the end. While not a flat out announcement of marketing partnership for the games themselves, it's easy to read into PlayStation's official partnership with Call of Duty League. And Call of Duty Challengers, uh, 
are a okay. I, I, I typed this up very weird, but either way, it's not hard to look into the, their recent sponsorship of the Call of Duty things and see that this is very likely that Call of Duty is locking in with PlayStation to continue to run their marketing campaigns uh, with PS5 as we go forward for at least the next year, um, if not longer. PlayStation, I think, has been a really good partner for them, and Call of Duty has always done the thing where their primary goal, because of how big of a thing they are and how much that they tap into a casual base that normally doesn't buy games as often is that they look at this and say, we need to go with the person who is has the biggest player base. And I think you saw that very easily in the 360 gen. They stayed with play with Xbox the entire time and they did not switch until the beginning of the PlayStation gen when, um, PlayStation started doing better. Uh, they look at it, and, and it's, I don't think it's a thing that needs to be looked at from the viewpoint of clearly PlayStation's doing better. That's why they get the marketing for something like this. I just think that it makes sense for a series that's this big and that's this aimed at a casual thing to have your marketing aligned with people that are going to help you, help pay for some of it because it benefits them as well, and still gets it out to the majority of the eyes that you'd really want it to be on. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. And we may see it switch back over. Or for the first time, we actually may start seeing uh, more games do a non-console aligned marketing partner, a partnership, which would be really interesting. I'm unsure of how they would go about doing that because it's it's a it's just a leap from what they've been doing. I don't know how they'd want to try and tackle that, but it's clearly not impossible. There are plenty of games that do not align with one group and just kind of go about their business. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what Saul's doing, so you just get me right now. So take it in. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and start the next uh, <laughs> the next news section, even though it's more or less a lead into um, getting into our main topic. So it's time to either pat yourselves on the back or think over your loyalty. Uh, but a recent study conducted by best SEO companies, a survey across 1,008 people, determined that in the gaming sphere as well as a bunch of other brands. They, they went through a bunch of them if you're interested in the rest of the survey. Uh, but in the gaming sphere, PlayStation fans are the most loyal, followed by Xbox and then lastly Nintendo, uh, at least in the three console manufacturers. And then in fourth came PC gaming, which is a little surprising considering the, uh, the rise of PC gaming. Uh, but it should be noted, and actually I'm curious to see what Saul has to say about this. I'm going to repeat it. Uh, in case you happen to miss it. So saw a survey of 1,008 people determined that at least in the gaming sphere, PlayStation fans are the most loyal, which is not that surprising. No. Uh, followed by Xbox and then Nintendo. I was actually really surprised that Xbox beat out Nintendo. Um, kind of, sort of, too. The, the, I'm actually... The, what, you if said I'm, 1,600? Huh? 1,600? 1,008 people. Oh, okay. Now, yeah, the way that they do these... Very it's a very small it is, but sample it, size. It, um, for anybody that doesn't know how sample size are chosen, they get random people to come in and essentially go through that. And because of the pool being so wide about who they, what types of people they brought in, you get a very, you get a varied multitude of answers. Uh, so that's part of why they do these and why they use these. They're not 100% aligned with what's actually happened out there, but they're meant to be a pretty close approximation of what the market is like. I would, like. I would argue that this, that this study is very inaccurate. And that is, that is going to say that um, now that the switch is also the Xbox, I, I, that right there is proof in the pudding I don't, that I believe that Switch is still number two. I don't know that loyalty is in numbers. And the reason I bring that up is, and, and part of the reason that I actually have somewhat of a backing for why PlayStation may have won, if you don't think about I know, it. Well, I know PlayStation won. That's the, without question. Oh, it's, yeah, but it's, I'm, it's I, Switch versus I know it sounds Xbox weird. at that point. Is, even though I said it wasn't surprising that PlayStation won, I still, in the back of my mind, when I first started reading this, was like, Nintendo won. Because Nintendo's got a very rabid fan base. But well, Nintendo's fan base is very loyal. Uh, that's why Nintendo is still 
what I am going to consider the most, the second, the highest grossing, um, you know, console for this generation. Mm-hmm. A console that came into the, the game three years ago has outsold the console that has been in the game for almost eight years. Yes. So, well, seven, but yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so that's, that's just one of those things that to me, that, that survey just seemed inaccurate. Um, it's too small. Well, and I think yeah. that when you look at loyalty, I think there's a lot of things, right? Loyalty isn't just numbers. I think it's loyalty not. has to be a lot of things. I think that it's probably, if I had to go through, and realistically, I think the way they're doing this is they're just kind of looking. And since they did this across a bunch of things, it wasn't just, this, this is things like uh, food companies, also stuff. Yeah. And they asked people going through. So this is probably a look at, and probably a su- small subset of questions. I didn't get to read the whole thing, yeah. uh, but I read a lot of it because it was just interesting. Um, they, and, and they actually made a note of this, and I thought about it myself. And this is part of why I'm also still surprised that Nintendo did not beat Xbox. Uh, they mentioned that while fans can be loyal to a game console itself, a main driving factor is a strong allegiance to game franchises that are unique to that system, which is something we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Exclusives have always been something. And I think that one of the reasons Nintendo's always been able to kind of keep afloat, even in some of their worst times, is that even when they have a console like the 3DS's launch, and of course the 3DS was well, able to steer the their ship. Launch. Uh, the, the Switch is launched, but the Switch was still more popular. But go back to the yeah. Wii U. The entirety of the Wii U was a very rough time for Nintendo. And yet... The games that still sold well on the Wii U in a way that you would not be, you would not expect, were all the staple series that people normally love. Yeah, you got it was things like okay, Wind of Waker course, HD Breath Collection, of the Wild sold well. Which I think, if I remember correctly, I'm gonna get the numbers real quick. Smash Brothers Wii U sold very well. The Mario game for Wii U sold very well. Uh, those are the games that look, and, and I mean, you have to partially do it. It sold well for what the console had out there numbers-wise. Uh, and I think that that's pretty interesting. Nintendo has got some of the most recognizable franchises. Um, and that's interesting. In the week following the release of the Wind Waker HD, the sales of the Wii U console increased by 685%. <laughs> That one game Ooh. increased the console's um, sales 100% sixfold. Yeah, that's really wild. That I didn't is, actually know that. I mean, I knew that it was a big jump, but oh, 600% is a lot. People underestimate the fan base for one of my favorite, one of everybody's favorite Zelda games. That I'm telling you. Oh, and that's the game that made me buy one. You yeah, remember? Yeah, and that's the reason I bought yours from you is for that game, for yeah. that one game alone. Um, and I will buy it for the Switch if it comes out for the Switch. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, but... I see for me though, like 1,000, uh, 1,000 people in a, in a space that the market is so big. Cause you say, you say numbers don't always matter in that kind of sense. But when you think about well, it, I mean, in numbers terms, and console sales, yeah, well, that's, just, that's just make sure I was that's, okay. Well, no, that's what I'm saying is that you said that that doesn't really matter in some of it, but I think it does. Cause it shows you that 1,000 is, is, is not even 1% of this, of the total number of users on across all three of these oh, platforms. No, yeah. So it, 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 to me right there, that's way too small. Get up to like a hundred thousand and it'll be more accurate. It's just, you gotta think these, these are studies that are done on, on behalf of these companies. I understand it's hard to pull in something like that. So what you've got to try and do is be smarter and pull in a survey of people that are all varied in what they like. And if you get a, if you get a strong group of people where you have a bunch of different things, like people of different sexes, different religions, different hobby natures, then you start to be able to break this down to where it's like the chances of these people liking the exact same thing do start to go away because of how, and I don't mean that we're all 
at the, at the core of things, we're all way more alike than we are not. Yeah. But the things that we'd like to define ourselves by, those are the things that when you start to kind of differentiate, there are some through lines that people tend to follow when they're one people. So you try and diversify your group of people as much as possible yeah, you so that you try. can do that. Now, and it doesn't mean it's always perfect, but my main thing about this is that when you're looking at loyalty, I think you got to look at some things like, in terms of console cell numbers, the Vita has been uh, what you could only consider a failure in terms of from a pure business standpoint of console sales to PlayStation. Now, when you look at the actual console, that console has one of the most loyal fan yeah. bases I've ever seen. And the, the attachment rate for Vita is so ridiculously high yeah. that almost every person who bought a Vita, and of course this is an average that's spread across, so it's not that, but the average person owns more than 10 games for the Vita. And that sounds stupid because that sounds like, what? but we're, we're core gamers. When you start going to the casual market, it's very rare that on a wide scale, like, PlayStation 4 has a really good attachment rate, and its attachment rate is only like seven games per console. And the Switches is even higher than that at like nine games per console. I it was and a, somehow, like 11 somehow. It, it might be now. This is maybe all the information. What you're about to say with Xbox is going to be mind blowing if you're about to say what I think you're about to say. Oh, well, the thing about Xbox and why I think it maybe comes in the second place. See, PlayStation, I think you look at it from that. Even people on, on what was could only be considered a failed console still look at it and push through it. The PS4 has had some ups and downs, but a lot of the loyalty, I think, comes from weird moves that they chose to do. And that loyalty comes from things that are, have been implemented that you really like, so you choose to stay with it. Sometimes yeah. it's exclusives. And I actually think when you get to the Xbox, the reason it might be not Nintendo right now is just because of how consumer-focused all their moves have been, while Nintendo... Nintendo has been getting themselves in a little bit of, of a cluster with the fans by doing things like going to court over not letting people cancel pre-orders crazy and all this crazy is stuff. Is that is that I've said in the past before that Sony has made anti-consumer moves. I mean, they all have. Oh, you know, they, every Xbox, single one of them. Yeah, has. Xbox has. That's why I didn't get an Xbox I, I, at I launch. I think the, the, the thing you have to the, say about all companies, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but is oh. that all companies, every company that exists in the world, at some point has to make an anti-consumer move. Otherwise, they literally couldn't be in business. Right. Uh, it's just a balance of how often do you do something that balances your ability to be somewhat pro-consumer but still maintain a flowing business. Yeah, and, go ahead. and and every one of these companies will continue to make anti-consumer moves. It's just how it is. It's, it's left up to the people who love the companies to call them out on it. And people, you know, there's, there's this very strong thing that's been going around lately. If you've browsed Twitter in the past week, you might've seen it. I've saw it twice now about, uh, people being loyal to brands and why you shouldn't be loyal to a brand in terms of defending a brand when they make decisions. Yeah. Um, and actually that's a very smart mindset is that, if you love a brand, you don't have to necessarily agree with every decision they make to defend them because in yep. the end, they really don't care about you. Um, and they just care about the money you gave them. Um, and I've seen a lot of people defend really coarse and dumb decisions. I saw people defend the Nintendo lawsuit. I saw people defend Sony. Um, I mean, not Sony, Microsoft, when they did the whole DRM thing. And there were points to these that made sense. Oh, but yeah. defending them overall, just saying just because you love that company is is... Don't do that. Like, I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do, but it's not the right thing to do. You need to speak up because if you don't call out companies you love and if you don't vote with your wallet when it comes to that, if I would have gave Xbox my money at launch for a decision that I, that I made on and multiple hundreds, if not thousands of people made that same decision I did, if that's a stupid DRM thing. I'm not buying a new Xbox. I'm going to go PlayStation. That's I, I am. I'm certain that's why PlayStation's fan base is so big now is because that one fumble Xbox made. Sure. And 
if you if you just continue to be a sheep in a way and just and just say oh well la 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 I love this company they make no wrong decisions then you are a problem and and it's not you yourself as a human being is is wrong but it's it's to me is something that you got to have more integrity as a person to that if you start if you defend companies and if you defend like Nintendo and, and constantly defend Nintendo despite their some of their bad decisions and you can I'm not saying that if you defend them you're inherently wrong. But there are decisions like there are decisions that are defendable and there are decisions that, you know, that are not. And there are a lot of times that those the those uh, uh, these situations they put themselves in, they're not really defendable. And a lot of people would like just get incredibly angry and argumentative over some of this stuff. And it's just like, hey, that dude just, you know, they're just doing what they, they're just speaking their minds. They're speaking what they think. Sometimes it's just not the right way to go. You know, and, and unless you've got more to say, I think this probably is a good way to wrap it off. Because I, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. But it's funny that I, I think that, that mindset of uh, criticizing things that you love in general, not just companies, not just products, all that. I think you got to look at it. I think that if you really love something, you should be able to have a, a an opinion on it that is, even if it's criticism, as long as it's actual, valid, constructive criticism, yeah. I think you should be able to voice it. And what I find funny about that is, you're saying that, and this has nothing to do with you. This is not something I've heard you say. But it's funny how many how many times in other industries that doesn't become a th- it becomes a thing to it's it's almost like it's blasphemous to do that because people are like, then you're not really a fan. And I, what I mean by that is, this is just one example that I know is very true for people that I know, and I, and it's whenever a band that you really enjoyed puts out an album that's different, and it's so different, and you go, hey. My criticism here is not that I no longer like this band, or even if I do no longer like them just because that they've kind of lost me as a fan in terms of what I enjoyed about them, I still have the ability to validly say, hey, as someone who loves what this thing has been and yeah. and, and could be, where they're at right now, even if that's where they want to be, it's fine, but this is just how I feel and I don't agree with it. And yeah. there's a lot of people that go, well, if you're a real fan of the band, you just adapt to their taste. And I don't think that that's, that's a fair criticism. That's, that's, that's a I'm very saying. weird thing to say is that you shouldn't be able to tell something that just because you love something, if you love it, you have to wholesale agree with it. It's a very weird yeah. statement that a lot of people carry across all mentalities and, of life. And, and it's a, something that I think is it's something that I wish would at least start to slowly change in society because it bleeds through everything. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like you shouldn't be able to voice an opinion over something like you shouldn't be able to voice that you, that you are to defend Microsoft when they made the DRM decision. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do that. I'm just saying that as a, as a human being and as a consumer, because at the end of the day, we, that's what we are. You need to take into account the business decisions and, you don't need to be heel to toe defending a business over something that is so. I don't even know what to describe it. Controversial, I guess. I don't know because, if I'd say. That. I, I think that what you're probably trying to get at, is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the best way to kind of summarize well, this you kind of summarize it the best with the bands. It's like, yeah. hey, I still like this decision. This kind of, that, that that's not the direction I wanted to see. It's essentially a weight of how much the change or what there are the decision that they're doing. Uh, matters to you because yeah. the thing is, is that there's people that I'm sure are probably like, I really don't agree with the DRM thing, but realistically I buy all my games digitally anyway. And it, and I'm always online. So while I don't agree with it, it doesn't really affect me in a way that matters enough for me to want to vote with my wallet. So I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not saying that the people who wanted to do that shouldn't have done that. I'm glad that they just went out and bought what they wanted because they understood the, the potential negatives, but they weighed them against how important it really was to them and go, even if I don't agree with it, it mostly is okay. And 
for my entertainment, I just want to buy it. Doesn't mean I have to agree with it. Right. And I think that's another weird thing is people say that if you feel some way that you're and and it's just easy to extrapolate that from what people are saying. Sometimes you could look at what Saul just said, even though I don't think it's what he meant. Uh, and I'm not saying that you did, but there's surely someone who heard what you just said whenever they're listening to this and think, oh, so anytime I don't like something, I shouldn't support it at all. I should always vote with my wallet and just not buy it. No, that's not what it is. No, is that there are plenty of levels of things where you may not agree with them, but that does not mean that you can't support them. Because even if yeah. you love PlayStation and there's one aspect about the PS5 that you end up not caring about, but it's a pretty small one, and even though you don't agree with it, the rest of it's pretty good for you and it doesn't have that much of an effect on you, there's no weird decision in you just buying it and, and, and saying, hey, yeah. I can still buy and enjoy things that I don't agree with in some aspect there's i don't agree with playstation censorship but i still buy games on playstation yeah, i still play you see, my playstation you see us to that day you see us do that too as well and i'm not saying you need to vote with your wallet or whatever because in the end i bought an xbox yeah. but it's after they went back on these policies yeah. you can and, see and how vote, and vote when you're with your wallet when it's really important to yeah you, when you really feel like you need to stand up for that it's just and what i was mainly getting at is is everybody in the world can voice their own opinions it's just when it gets to a point of unhealthy defending a company it's it, it becomes an unhealthy mindset that yeah. that that I don't like seeing because people are better than that. They're people. They're better than recognizing. Hey, you know, this company made a bad decision. I don't have. You, I don't. You don't need to feel the need to defend them over yeah. that bad decision. Yeah. I never once, as a big Xbox fanboy last year, I never once defended Xbox on that. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget that morning of like that sucks. looks like I'm going to be watching the PlayStation thing later. That's exactly what I said to myself. And I was, uh, I was actually, this is, this goes back to way back when, when we were on uh, three way phone calls with my, with, with Casey and Gavin and we were watching that. And Casey was like, eh, I'll still go back. Cause it's, it'll have call of duty. I'm like, go for it. And then Gavin was like, I'm undecided. But then what was it? Two hours later, PlayStation came out and he's like, Hey, see this disc. I can let you borrow it if you want it. Then it was said and done. It was like somebody made a bad move, somebody made a great move. I'm going to support that company. But that doesn't ever mean I can't support Xbox again. Companies change and they will make anti consumer decisions that you can disagree with. And if and, and, yeah. and you shouldn't not feel the need to disagree with them. The other mindset that I really wish would start going away is the fact that you bring up something a company did eight years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago as proof as to why you shouldn't do it now. And yeah. I understand it goes back to what we talked about earlier, where if someone ever steals from you, even if it's 10 years later, you're kind of like, did they start stealing again? That's the, that's the mindset that gets in people's mind when they think, you know, I trusted Xbox once and then they did this X, they did this shady stuff or I trusted PlayStation once and they did this shady thing. And they go, mm, you know what? Even though it's, that was eight years ago, 12 years ago, they could do it again. Well, so I'm not going to do it. And it. All I'm getting at is, I really don't like that in all walks of life of it's kind of like the thing where you see when people are like, Oh, this person did this. Oh, this person supported this person. Well, that person who supported this person, guess what? He said something I didn't agree with eight years ago and he has to still hold that exact that, same mindset. That right there is pretty much what I'm talking yeah, about. It's um, stupid. I mean, a really, it really cool is. correlation that's personal to me that is in the same vein, except in a different industry is phones. Got a Google pixel two XL mm-hmm. at launch full retail price of $1,100. Right? No, was no, it? no, no. That was that was eight hundred dollars. Phones weren't over a thousand dollars yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I must be thinking about the new prices. Um, but yeah, within two years, that thing was lagging, restarting by itself. Called Google, said, "Hey, uh, there's something wrong with my phone." The dude on the uh, the dude on the customer service line said, "Oh, just use your phone in safe mode for a week, and if it doesn't resolve, call us back." I'm not making my phone dumb instead of a smartphone for a week. 
to find a problem out. I'm still within warranty. I'm still within two years. If not, I had just hit just barely over two years. I would have paid to get it fixed, but they were trying to dissuade me completely from anything involving that and was just to use my phone in safe mode, uninstall all the apps and use it in safe mode. Why would I do that? So when the Google Pixel 3 came out, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not giving Google anymore my money with the way they treated me last time. And, and not to mention, they didn't have any the real great features of the phone. That's not to say, though, in two years, the Google 5 or 6, the Pixel 5 or 6 comes out, and I'll go back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just one customer service experience like that can win you off a store. doesn't mean it has to be permanent. Yeah. It, it, that will go away after time. Well, we've said on that longer than I intended, but yes. it was part of the main topic. So we kind of have a dual main topic. Of course, it was that because I did know that bringing up the topic of uh, brand loyalty was going to be interesting because it, I think everybody's loyal to brands, even sometimes when they don't think they are. And I mean that in the sense of there's a safe version of loyalty where you, you're you loyal, but you still question everything Look that comes cars. through. And then there's loyalty to the point where it's blind loyalty. Yeah. And then that's essentially what Saul and, and I are saying is uh, always try and avoid the path of blind loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty can shift at any direction. Direction because loyalty should be earned, uh, and I do think that for the most part, PlayStation has earned my loyalty. But they could mess up at any time and lose it. That's very, that's very. That's essentially possible. the best way you to know, say. PlayStation could come out this coming gen and say, "Hey, you know, we were wrong. PS4 games aren't going to be backwards compatible. There is no backwards compatibility. We're not going to have any M-rated games on our system anymore. They can go all kinds of different <laughs> ways that uh, make me say, oh, well, it looks like I'm not buying that console right yeah. now.'" Yeah, yeah. So either way, uh, the next thing up, and, and I think that this one's real fun too, because I don't know it, it. It's telling of a lot of things, but I'm also curious as to in the core crowd what is kind of most important to them. So a different survey across eight thousand consumers across Europe, and I mean Spain, France, all the uh, you know very different uh, you know geographical spots within Europe. Um, eight thousand consumers implied that statistically speaking a strong majority so 68 percent are most likely to place improved visuals as the most important feature for the new console hardware uh like the playstation 5 and xbox uh, series x the survey also shows that despite new hardware claiming support for 8k resolution they're not that interested in it with around 40 people being mildly interested in it and surprisingly a higher percentage of people placed priority on motion controls with a surprising 49 percent of the people surveyed eager for that functionality in next gen consoles now there's a couple of things here that i thought was really interesting first of all that it's only about better graphics it's not that surprising so if i'm going off of the the, the surprising nature of these uh the the least surprising one is that people aren't that interested in 8k resolution and i think that that's because of what saul was already talking about <laughs> that it is not why happen. would you be interested in a resolution that you don't see on a on a on a commonly spread community com, uh, would, consumer level i would argue that that over 75 percent of the people in the united states still use 10 tvs oh uh i would say probably not now it's probably closer to 50 percent, just because they've essentially when everybody was saying 4k is not really probably going to happen all tv manufacturers are like well guess what we're not going to make 1080p tvs anymore so if you want to buy one and of course you know this is a country that is so happy to partake in black friday that people what is the one thing you see people losing their minds over on black friday TVs. TVs, yeah. More than so anything. it's a really easy way that if you can get a pretty good TV set that's 4K, and what's weird is that you've seen it go from 4K over 1080p, and then now these last year, year and a half, it's all been budgeted 4K HDR TVs. So yeah. now they're getting to the point where which, hardly which anybody all, makes a 4K TV that's not HDR anymore. Yeah, and, it, and it's crazy too because the value of these over the past four years has gone tremendously down. 
Well, uh, I mean, I say the value, the cost, cost. versus value. Yes. The yeah. TV that I got, the value proposition for what I forgot how much I paid for it at Target two eighty two seventy nine. I think was for that something TV yeah, two seventy nine. Yeah. Uh, that is is that a 4K HDR TV? That thing looks fantastic. It works fantastic. It is a smart TV. Saul's been As, so behind on TVs that he yeah. call, he called me. Or actually, he didn't call me. I told it you last time we recorded or something. Yeah, he was like, "Dude, TV's beautiful." I did. Yeah, did you know the TVs could do this? I'm like, "Yes, yeah, Saul." Yeah, did you know that TVs TV. can cast without having to have Google Chromecast, which is a thing. But um, but yeah, as an average. This is where, like, I'm an average TV watcher. I am very casual in terms of TV watching and movie watching. I am not a cinephile anymore. I don't go and look for things, you know, in TVs in terms of coloring and stuff like that. If a TV is vivid, if the color is accurate, and if it looks good, then I'm fine. There are people out there that will download uh, or use their TV, plug the laptop or computer into it, and go to color accuracy websites and, and yes. get that color 100%. I will use uh, ratings.com for that. I won't use uh, that myself. I'm not that worried about it. If the TV looks good and works well, hey, I love it. Out of the uh, box is what you want. You want it to look pretty great out of the box. Yeah, and, and I'm the kind of person that I love technology anyway, so I will go tinker with the settings of any new big gadget I get for at least 30 minutes just to see all the settings that I can do in it. And... Um, yeah, for me, that is, you know, the thing. And I, I, I would predict that by the end of this generation, we're probably going to get some kind of super sampling of AK available. I, I do uh, think that's what it is. And I don't even know that it's something that they're really worrying about having it launched for 8K resolution. Oh, they're definitely, they're definitely I not. think what this is, is that even if it's there at launch, which I don't think it is, I, I do think that this is essentially what we saw with the pro consoles already. This is, is hey, your game's going to run at native 4K, but if you if you happen to buy an 8K TV, the game knows the game knows how to smartly checkerboard itself up to 8K or upscale to 8K in a way that, it's at least supported. Is there even a graphics card for PC that can reliably run 8K? I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, next up, of course, like we were saying, the first, the first thing I was originally aiming at was uh, graphics. Now, I, I find it interesting that in a generation, I think the jump from the PS3 to the PS4, the thing that you really had to look for was mostly graphics and graphic effects. So if it wasn't straight up resolution jump, which we did have from 720p on being the common resolution to 1080, um, there was some asking for 60 frames per second, though we didn't get it on most games. Um, so when you look at it, most of the things did go towards graphics. And that was really what all the new specs were aiming at. Higher RAM and all that to push higher fidelity graphics and give you slightly bigger worlds. And a lot of the idea of bigger worlds was bigger worlds with better graphics. That's what you looked at. No, you know, it's not, hey, can we do the Witcher's world size, but it looked like a, two, a PS2 game. It was, though, can we do the Witcher's world size and it looked better than a ps3 game still uh that's always been the goal so graphics are of course a big jumping point for for next gen hardware and i think it is part of what drives people there and i think most generations have made it easy to understand that's where you want to go with but it makes me wonder if they're not doing a good enough job and it's they're not far enough in right now that i don't think it matters but at least as of right now i don't think enough of the consumer base knows about the ssd and what that even really means right now and I think the problem that's caused is that when people look at the next-gen hardware, their mind only goes towards the thing that they've seen in the past, which is, oh, yeah, it can look a good Lord. Okay, just so Saul showed me a, for people who are listening on audio and you can't see his laptop anyway, a, uh, a graphics card that can run 8K, and it's $5,531.99. That is as much. But there is free shipping. <laughs> You get Amazon Prime on it. Oh no, it's not eligible for Amazon Prime. So I still got to wait a week. Now um, this this is something because you can still run it on like a RTX twenty eighty, which is like a nine hundred dollar graphics card. I'm pretty sure. Um, but uh, 
um, this is a reliable 8K graphics card. Yeah. That's not even a consumer graphics card. I, I, I don't, that's a car. Yeah. Uh, anyway, going back to what I was talking about, um, and, and saw, I, I am curious what you think about it, but the, you know, before in every generation, one of the biggest jumps is always resolution jumps, which we are seeing in a way here. Yeah. Midway through this generation, we got some form of key of, of uh, 4K. So it's not as strong as it's been. We're like n midway through the PS3 generation, we didn't get a system that could reliably play out 1080p. So it is softening that blow. This, genera this generation is more about having more native 4K instead of some kind of sub 4K version uh, and doing it at a higher frame rate, hopefully. That's what everybody's kind of aiming for and looking at. So since we don't know what they're actually going to do just yet, uh, since we have no not that much information about it, I think it's interesting that, of course, the consumer mind goes to the easiest spot of, well, new hardware does mean better graphics, and I am excited to see what better graphics could be on a console on my new shiny 4K TV. Yeah. And what what that still says to me, though, is that one of the things, one of the challenges that both Microsoft and PlayStation are going to have uh, is going to be finding a way to reliably market. And, and it sounds weird. I know a lot of people hate the idea of buzzwords, but buzzwords exist for the casual people who don't quite understand tech speak and can just look at it and go, okay, what's the phrase that captures what the PS5 can do? Outside of graphics, what's the phrase that can capture what the PS5 can do to, to the layman? And I think what they're going to have to find is what the buzzword is that matches the ability to describe the fact that load screens are pretty much a thing of the past and that games will load a lot quicker speed. and go through. And and other things. like it's, it's speed and functionality that comes with that speed. The ability to um, look at a game and with the increased RAM go, hey, now you can suspend games multiple games at once and you can play four different games and you can just go slide into the other game and resume it and you'll be right where you left off. That's something that you're going to have to find a way to reliably market to people. And the fact that 68% of people are mostly looking at, looking forward to improved visuals instead of the, the speed that's really, I think this will be one of the things of graphics don't change the way you game. Yeah, there, speed does. There is still something uh, about this topic that I find interesting, and that is that people will say that graphics don't always ma matter, which I don't think is a one hundred percent true statement. I, I don't I think, think any of them are. You know, yeah. like if that was the case, Minecraft wouldn't have sold millions exactly. upon millions of copies. Um, yeah. I think that graphics matter in a very offhandish way for myself. Um, if a game is prettier, like Red Dead, I was talking about earlier. Red Dead looks fantastic. That matters a lot when you're trying to be immersed in a game. It's kind of hard. It's a different kind of immersion to go from Red Dead and Skyrim to Minecraft. You could still get immersed, but nowhere near as effective. But the immersion is not in trying to believably insert you into a world. The immersion is now it's, hey, this is not trying to insert you into a world that's realistic and grounded. This is trying to insert you into a world that you're getting immersed in that is completely unrealistic. Yeah, and well, and it goes that, towards different though. things. So what, to, to your point, and I think, I, I, I think this is it. Uh, please tell me if I'm wrong. To your point, a game like Skyrim and definitely a game like Red Dead, part of the immersion comes from the game design being, hey, how can we make this game feel really grounded and really realistic? Definitely Red Dead 2. There's a lot of things they chose to do. Well, we're not going to have any fast travel. Okay. So what are we going to do? You have to, ride, you have to ride your horse or walk everywhere. Okay. That is, is towards the aim of realism. Are people going to be okay with it? Do some tests? Yeah, people Somewhat, seem like they're okay yeah. with it. All right. So how do we, if we're going to make it to where, you can ride your horse and shoot people and everything. 
how far do we push the realism line and how do we make the rest of the game cohesively and synergistically come back into that? So you look and go, well, all of these things are realistic. So the next thing we need to make sure that we're doing is making a world that is so to the max of our ability at this particular moment is so realistic that when you're in it, it feels like you're just looking through a window in time but with a little extra control and still gamified, but the rest of the things that are still gamified are easy enough from the way that we're framing them to suspension of disbelief that it works out in the favor of being immersive in a way that feels realistic and grounded, yeah. but still gamified. So it's fun for people to play. Right. And I think that you're exactly right in a, in a world like that's what you're looking at. Yeah. It's a very wild mixture of a game and a simulation. Yes. Uh, and you know, that does matter it may not be anybody's first priority, but it's the reason why games evolved into how they look now and how they keep evolving onto the graphics. Is it, is it a very, it is a very common thing for graphics to be a desired feature of a game. And, but that doesn't go to say that, that games with games like yeah, darkest dungeon, like kind of hand-drawn style graphics, yep. they're crisp and they're, they're beautiful. But then you get games like monster hunter, the uh, generations uh, on switch. Oh yeah, it's a 3ds port. It's kind of muddy. It, it doesn't look pretty, but it's still a fantastic game. And when you go into it for what it is, it's a handheld game that you could take anywhere, and it's a full blown Monster Hunter game. It gets the job done. You don't negatively look upon it in that kind of sense. Sure. Uh, now, at least- going back to your Monster Hunter point, uh, to your point, I actually think that while it's definitely a boon that Monster Hunter World looks as good as it does, mm-hmm. I actually think that if you stripped Monster Hunter World down and made it a little less pretty it would not affect people's enjoyment of the game one bit. I think the game no. still would have sold every, every bit the same. Every Monster Hunter in the world, and this is just my opinion, but every Monster Hunter other than the world has always looked subpar. They have always looked muddy. They've always looked kind of yeah. blocky. They've always had kind of an ugly tinge to them, but they still were stylish games. Yet, they are still amazingly fun to play. They're grindy. They're repetitive. They, they get you sucked into the world for what it is, mm-hmm. and then you love it. Graphics at that point are looked past. They don't matter to you in that point. But then when you have graphics introduced... They don't matter as much. Well, no, I was going to say, no, listen, this is this, they don't it, matter to you at that point in time. But when Monster Hunter World comes out and you see that, you're like, man, that's a pretty game. Yeah, well, what I was actually getting at is even if Monster Hunter played every bit of the same but looked like Life of a Black Tiger... Yucky. I'm pretty sure at that point people would be like, well, the graphics are too atrocious yeah. to make up for the gameplay. And part of that comes down to Life of Black Pie looking like a late PS1 game. Like It looks like it's someone who's just learning how to make a 3D game. Yeah. And I, I think but, that graphics matter the most when it goes into a new gen uh, generation of gaming. Clearly. But, uh, and that's why you tend to see more linear games be uh, launch window games because they're games that can look and say, how can we make sure that this game looks so crazy? Like, oh my God, this is what you couldn't do in the previous gen. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a, that's a big thing. Um, but I, 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 for me, this, yeah. this, this, this survey is kind of weird because it kind of goes back to the general consensus of gaming. And that is where us as core gamers are completely the minority. Yes. And, you know, I was I was reading something, and I can't remember if it was on Twitter or on Reddit. I think it was on um, Twitter about how people, this guy had a friend who played Call of Duty. And every time every time a Call of Duty come out, he'd play it. And that's all he ever really played. He did not realize that he got PS Plus games for free. They did not know that was part of the service. There are thousands of people like that hundreds of thousands of people that play games like that that they're not aware of the services that the that the console offers they're just there to play their yearly games and there's nothing wrong with that um there's nothing wrong with that at all but 
when it comes down to like someone like that who does not pay attention to to you know numbers in terms of like what their what their processors clocked at how many teraflops your system has when they're just caring caring about this the games they play and nothing else in the world they are going to be the main ones looking for hey that game looks amazing they're going to be the main ones who there's not really much else for them to kind of like latch on to because they don't care about anything else uh and i do think that it is important with this kind of gen transition the the visuals itself are going to look crisper and cleaner but that's to me, you're not going to see a jump. And I said it earlier, you're not going to see the same kind of jump in visual quality that you got from the PS2 and the Xbox to the 360 and the PS3. You're not going to see that here. You're going to see a much more relaxed slide in. It's going to look crisper. It's going to look sharper. It's going to look cleaner. It's almost like taking what we have now and refining Just polishing it, it yeah. and, and making it look very shiny compared to what we have now. But the, what we're going to get, and this is what I and most excited for because people shiny metaphorically by the way i hope no one's hearing that and thinking why don't my game to look plastic and shiny oh yeah please yeah. don't be halo 5 but um <laughs> but yeah for what i'm looking for because you know i know for a fact i know how game engines work and i know i pay attention to game engines and how they operate ragdoll physics stuff like that i'm looking at, at more optimized game engines i'm looking at better physics in the game i'm looking at better draw distance stuff like that. I'm looking at better textures. You know, I think one of the big things, and this comes down to, yeah, this question of what is most important to you across the console generations is going to come down to how big, what the break is between core gamers, uh, casual, uh, well, and I, core gamers, and then what I, what I kind of call casual core gamers where they're it's, somewhere in between and then sounds, casual gamers. I feel like yeah. it's going to be a very different answer for all of them. But you know, I think one of the things that a lot of core gamers, including you and I actually, it matters a little less to me though. I do like the ability. I think that we're already starting to see it. So it's only going to grow the next gen is control within your game. Used to the idea was that you had such limited power in your consoles and you wanted to make sure you used it all that you have to do everything. You have to frame your, uh, you, you have to frame your exact field of view based off of what you know you can render reliably. Yeah. So a game's like, well, no, we can't let you have a little bit more field of view because the engine's not optimized to show you this extra four inches per side. And you're yeah. going to notice screen tearing or texture pop in that otherwise would have been hidden if we obscure the field of view to this minimum, this maximum area. I um, think you typically get screen tearing when field of view changes. Well, probably not. But <laughs> my, my point being yeah. uh, is that you're going to notice some stuff that they otherwise would have been able to hide because they've optimized their engine. And actually, there was a great thing for Horizon Zero Dawn where they talked about the world loading in as you moved your well, camera. I was gonna say, yeah, the load screens in, in typical games. People don't realize that like in Doom, you get on an elevator, that's a loading screen. You're not just on the elevator for you know a half a minute to a minute. You're all, in all a loading is, screen. All it is is Tony Hawk's American Wasteland on steroids. <laughs> I don't remember how that, that game was. You don't remember? That game was terrible. So that was no. the first game that ever had the, the thing of no uh, of marketing point of no, no load, load screens. screens. That game was And uh, you know what it was? No. It, it would be between levels. You'd get on a bus and you'd stand in a bus. And I think you might have been able to walk around in it. But essentially, it was a load screen. Yeah. And, and all it was doing was, hey, we're going to find some clever marketing way to hide the fact that we are loading your game. Now, clearly, it, it worked because people like it. I forgot I did play something else this week. And this is going to come into this right now. <laughs> Blair Witch got on Games Pass. Oh, yes. And I thought, you know what? I heard this game is terrible. I've heard it's terrible. But it would as well. be interesting for me and Andy to play this game. And this was last Sunday. And that game gave me the biggest migraine in the world. First of all, the screen, the, the, the frame pacing itself is terrible. 
the frame rate itself is terrible. There's a jitter when you move the camera left and right that ties in with the frame rate that just makes you sick feeling. But not only that, there's parts in the game, you know, PT, you go through the door a couple of times, but every time you open the door, the hallway is the same, then it would change, but you know, seamless. This game had you believe that you're running around in circles, kind of in a way, like you take off on one path and then you get to the end of the path and boom, there's the camp you just ran away from. And you're like, how did this happen? The game cut. There's a cut in the game that's noticeable of the things around you cutting to the new scenery. Like it, it wasn't even blatant or it wasn't even uh, hidden. It was very blatant that you were running and then all of a sudden your, your screen flashed for a second and, and, and your surroundings had differences in them. So how does this tie into the topic out of curiosity? So I, I, feel, I feel like you have something. That's a terrible about. form of not hiding your loading screens well. And I think that that people will notice that kind of thing and then they'll not realize that 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 technically what they play in every game to game basis does that to an extent is just hidden really really well the talent that works on the game is remarkable yeah sure um but on top of something like a game like physics being better game game engines being more optimized for collision purposes weather purposes all kinds of different aspects um something that that i have been campaigning for for like the past five years is that we finally get it so that every game is a 60 frames per second perfect no dips yeah. no drops and i think that this is going to be a thing where we actually start seeing that um and what's weird is we've we've slowly seen games get these pro updates and even updates in general to make them run faster just earlier in the news we had one for a uh, dying light to fix the frame rate frame rate is such a important part of a game that it is very, very much so needed um, to get a complete makeover in terms of consoles and that we well, need a new standard, a new standard. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do think which that we've the, seen changing. A lot of have, games have options that either resolute actually or, or do make the game go to 60 or, or make it unlocked so it can get as close to 60 as possible. Yeah. You get action. Uh, so you get 60, you get movie, So the game looks better. Um, but I hope that, that games run more flawlessly. I hope that the, the SSD is still something that I hope for in the PlayStation 5. It's still something that I'm so skeptical on until I actually see it with multiple games. Um, because we don't know for sure. Is it only Sony first-party games that can be you know utilizing this kind of technology or is it all multi-platform games you know how is this really going to run and people do say like hey loading screens there's no or there's no loading screens with ssds which isn't really true because they're still there like my loading screen on dark souls one remastered on ps4 on my ssd is like probably 20 seconds without it, it's probably about 40 on my pc dark souls 3 loading screen is still about 10 seconds it's still there just less noticeable um, now that is SATA driven for tech people. That is a SATA driven SSD and not one that's uh, NVMe. Yeah, which is what this one's supposed to be. Yeah. For those that don't know, NVMe is a direct connection on the motherboard that that is. Doesn't it use the PCI? PCIe. Yeah. Uh, but, te technically, technically, no. I don't think that an NVMe. Well, I'm not trying to weigh it down with tech talk because some people don't understand that. Yeah, stuff. I don't. Th well, uh, all but, I'm saying is I don't think that the NVMe port that you plug a. Um, an N.2 into, I don't think that is considered a PCI. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was curious. Uh, I've never seen one. I know what, I know that they're different. I've never seen one. Yeah. Um, but, mine, mine on my motherboard is actually hidden. And I didn't even know I had one um, when I bought the motherboard. It, I didn't know until months later that, hey, there's this uh, this piece of stylized plastic inside. And I noticed that I had a screw on there. And I'm like, that's a screw to undo uh, 
Uh, that's a screw to undo that piece of plastic so I can insert an M.2 drive and then screw it back on and it hides the M.2 mm, drive. Interesting. Uh, which is a very common <clears throat> thing nowadays. But, yeah. But yeah. yeah, games just performing better. And, I, you know, like I said, graphics, people will say graphics don't always matter. I think they do. I think that, that or well, people will say graphics matter the most. And it's a very mixed bag. You could have a game that has fantastic looking visuals but runs like a turd. Yes. And you got the exact opposite. I think that we are going to hit that perfect medium of a game performing really well. Game physics and and immersion aspects of the game are going to come to life better and run better. You're going to have a game that is going to be running at 4K. You know, I doubt we'll get 4K 60 and everything, but we're going to get at least 1080p sampled up to 4K 60. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're going to get games that run better. And what gets me about this survey is that, you know, people are saying that this stuff is going to look better. And, and that is a very, you know, a very probable thing. You know, that's that's honestly, if you're hitting the survey up with the correct answer, that's the correct answer. That, that is what I think that people are looking forward to the most in a sense. Well, and see, going back to, you know, if it, it was more of how interesting it is, the casual thing. But, you know, when you really think about it. The casual market is often in the in the scheme of uh, bigger people and, and talk. They're often kind of ignored as if they're not really important, even though they clearly are. They make up the majority of the hundred plus million consoles sold on PS4. Just to uh, cut you off real quick, yeah, I do want to make it sound like, or I do want to iterate that when I say casual and I say the people that are just playing Call of Duty yearly, that's not a slight in the in the slightest to anyone who does that. Like I'm not. Oh yeah. That, yeah. I don't have a problem with you doing that at all. Like that's how you play your games. That's how you play them go for it. I, that's not me, but that's not me criticizing you yeah, for doing it's, it's so. It's like people who listen to music all the time and then people who only listen to music when they get in the car because well, the radio's on. You I, would, know what I, mean? I would even argue that it's it's people who listen to music every single day of their lives and there's people who have decks for their phones for because they're audio files. Yeah. There, there's an extreme and then there's a casual. Sure, And sure. being yeah. casual doesn't mean bad. And there's always somewhere in between. So, yeah. um, But, you know, going back to the, the idea of the more casual market of, of the people who do buy the yearly games, you know, it really makes even more sense that if the main thing you do on your console, right, is essentially play a handful of games that release once a year uh, or once every two years. Like maybe you p- you play every Battlefield game and every Call of Duty game and let's throw a sports game in every uh, FIFA game. Those are all big games, all yeah. series. So you play those three series and every year that's essentially all you play. There may be a one or two in there that is surprising, but for the most part, what you're looking at, if you're buying a game every year, what you really want to see on top of just making sure the game is still fun, one of the things you'd want to see is, well, you know, if this is one of the only thing I'm doing every year, I, I, I want to see a jump in quality. And if you're looking at something going, Yo, wow, you know, Modern Warfare actually looks really good in comparison to Black Ops 3 well, or so, Black Ops 4. So, it's like, okay, wow, yeah, I, this is a real big jump and I, and I like it or I dislike it or whatever. But it, it is something that makes more sense. That's enough to kind of be like, hey, you know what? The game is still the game I like. They made some other small changes, but it also just looks better. And it, it's it, it's... It is a quick way to justify a purchase. So, I'd be like, you know what? I, I'm glad I bought this. This looks better. Surprisingly, that's a very, it's kind of rare. What do you mean? People, people that I know personally that, pl- that only yeah. really play Call of Duty yearly, they don't think that way really. Really? Yeah, they don't really. See, and that's me trying to put myself in their minds. But, you know, I, I feel like I could see that. If it looks better, you're like, wow, it looks better. Years ago, I can't remember what what platform this was on i i'm going to assume this was on reddit because i did not have a facebook i did not have a twitter but years upon years ago this might have even been on like, game fact forums people were talking about as black ops 2 came out last gen okay yeah and people are talking about the game and i remember seeing a comment on there saying this game looks too cartoony nobody nobody at all 
address that in a serious way. Nobody at all was like, we don't play like the comments were that were like, well then stop playing the game. We don't care about that. And then stuff like that. Like it's very rare. Well, cartoon, I think I get what you mean, but, and, and I'm not saying I'm right or you're right or wrong, or whatever, but it, that is a little bit of a weird example. I, I wish it was something a little more concrete than that because cartoony doesn't imply that the game looks worse. It can look cartoony in style, but actually be more detailed. Well, I'm just saying that the, you know it, I mean? it goes, it, to me, that kind of was the stagnant point for me that I kind of saw, like, especially with, like with Casey, they don't like these people don't really care that much about the visuals of the game in that kind of sense. At least some of them don't. The ones that I know, yeah. they don't really go to look for that kind of thing in terms of upgraded graphics they don't they don't typically will mention that they may think it internally but i've never heard it outspoken in any of the personal friends that i have that are very casual so even if it matters to them maybe it's not at the forefront of a decision like even if they see it and they enjoy it it's well, not at the forefront they're of get it, they're, they're gonna get it. it yearly regardless unless something comes out about it beforehand that they don't like yeah. and then that's why these that's why these games keep such lively multiplayer communities year after year after year because you still have people playing Black Ops 4 well, or 3. Think about it th- and, and the reason, and even then, it's hard to separate what is core and what isn't core. So like, you go to a YouTube video for Call of Duty Black Ops Oh yeah, that's uh, something 4, we, don't right? have, we don't have the, <laughs> the credentials to... We con- really, we yeah, don't. To, uh, to confirm that. But you know, think about it. Let's just say that Call of Duty Black Ops 4, right? Let's say it gets, uh, its trailer, its reveal trailer gets... 60 million views. I, I don't know what an average is on it. See, I don't like numbers like that either. But, but my point is, is that you have millions upon millions of views. Okay, let's say that you have th- uh, you have 350,000 likes, 350,000 comments. Yeah. And that's uncommon, but let's just use that number. What percentage of that comment is casual, if any? If any. I, you know, I when, almost, I, when I think about casual, I think 90% of the time it's people who just see stuff, they like it, and instead of making a big deal about it because it's 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 just something they enjoy. It's not like a yeah, necessarily I, a lifestyle for them. They just go, new Call of Duty look cool or new Call of Duty look kind of bad, and they just leave it at that. They don't go and comment. They don't go and do that. Well, there's well, And if they do, it's more on Facebook with normal friends and not people they don't know. And I think that the difference I notice between core gamers is that they're a lot more likely to interact and discuss things in a heated manner even sometimes with people that they don't know whereas i think a lot of casuals are like well i don't really care i'm just going to talk to my friends about well, it or people i play call of duty with this is where we don't have their credentials to discuss this in a way because you have the casual audience of call of duty who will play that yearly and that's the only game they play yeah. but then you have the hardcore call of duty fans that are only casual that do that but then we'll be the ones in the comments yes <laughs> that's the only game they play but they care about it so much that they're, they're they literally play things. it every day of every year oh, or well i wouldn't even say that much but i'm talking about <laughs> but the there ones, are people that exist like they're that, the ones yeah. that watch like um pro call of duty youtubers and yes. i watch loadout videos yes. yeah. um you know I, they're, they're it's like the, it's a subsect of where their core call of duty players yes but in terms of but like an not, average gamer, but, but they they more probably casual than most. Yeah, they probably wouldn't even imagine Which is themselves. Not a bad thing. It's weird. It's almost like you're a core gamer by proxy of one game. This episode's almost two hours long. Yeah, hey, it's upside. We didn't have one last week. Now we have an ultra long one. Thank you guys. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. Uh, but either way, I mean, we're probably towards the end of wrapping this up. Uh, but I do find it interesting. The one thing that we haven't actually talked much about, but that I find crazy here, is that motion controls came and went, and most people just seemed to be kind of over them. The Wii had its moment, but everybody else, it was like they were chasing a dying market. To me, motion just controls... Just for 49% of people to be eager for motion controls to show up in some form or fashion in next-gen consoles. Motion controls, to me, is a fad, just like 3D gaming was a fad. This makes me wonder, though. 
Those are both terrible things that I don't care for. Is this idea of motion control more in line with what they're expecting and seeing from motion control now with VR units? That's different. That's a completely different thing. VR, VR is yes, an expe- yes, expectation yes. where where there, there's only been one to maybe actually I'd say probably three instances off the top of my head where motion controls did really really well. Yeah, Breath of the Wild did it pretty good. Drake's uh, Unchar- or Uncharted, uh, Drake's Fortune, right? The Vita one? The Vita one. Golden Abyss. Golden Abyss. That did it really well. Uh, as a matter of fact, once you got used to that, it was hard to play it without it. Oh, without dude. It. It got, when I got used to the being able to adjust your aim by moving, yeah. it, I, I actually got really good with that. And Gravity Rush on the Vita. Yes. Gravity Those Rush are all games that like where motion controls were actually done fantastically well. Yeah. Any other time other than that, I don't care for it. Ever. But it's like the game almost has to be designed from the ground up with that idea in mind. Yeah. I'm like, hey, we're going to implement motion controls and they're going to matter. And I, uh, I think that it's a... Uh, and being blended with real controls. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's where the fat happens is that people think, oh, hey, you know, everybody's talking about the motion controls in Breath of the Wild or Gravity Rush, and I got to get on this. Yeah. And then they make a very subpar experience, and that happens more times than not. Well, what I actually think may be happening here, and I, I, I'm real curious to see uh, this, is that a lot of people, when they see VR, and then they definitely see one of the, the more complica- uh, more complex, not complicated, but more complex and uh, more... I'm trying to think more nuanced motion controls that uh, things like the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive mm-hmm. give you. I think people look at those and because they're much more refined motion controls. Yes. And even like what Oculus is doing now with the Oculus, um, the Oculus Quest. Yes. The wireless uh, one. That's got now the cameras can sense your hands and on certain games you, you can, can use your just your hands as the controllers. And it's supposed to be, excuse me. It's supposed to be uh, nuanced enough that it can notice all your fingers moving. It, it's it's what the Connect was always acting like it could have been yeah, in 2010 when they were like, "You'll be able to draw a piece of paper and hand what it to Milo." That? Yeah, I was gonna say that's what it was. It was that I think I brought it up not so long ago. Peter, Peter Molyneux's lion ass game, but that my, game never even came out. My point being is, I wonder if the motion controls that are with VR are making people wonder what it would be like if you had that level of motion control support support in games that were not VR compatible. And it's almost like, is it accidentally reinvigorating a a subsect of gaming peripherals that have otherwise died off because of the interest of an entirely different medium showing you how they can work? Like, you know, and it's weird because you think in a lot, or, or, if it's in there because it's people who want to be able to control UI and stuff without having to use a controller. Uh, and I, that seems like a small subset, but if, if it's done right, I could see people really, really, really wanting that feature. I'm still, I'm still on the, f- again, what the connect on Xbox one was supposed to do. Yeah. and Didn't really do. I'm still on the route that we need to make it so that headsets like the quest and any other Oculus and, and, and Vive product can take a detailed, um, uh, picture of your hands from different angles, and then whenever you have your hands in the game, that's it's your hands. So yes. if you had tattoos on your hands, I get what you're saying. Game, yeah, it'd be more immersive that way. Yeah, because games like Skyrim, where like you see like your your hand, and then you see like two inches of your wrist, and then it's just there's nothing else there. Don't don't. Do yeah, that. but and even then, if you're playing Skyrim and you chose, to, which I mean, there's at least options in Skyrim, so it's a bad example. Uh, let's go to a game where you're I've not a creatable s- character. Let's go to a game where you're, you're a even then you you're just, a white guy, well, and then why, say why? That, say you're a black guy playing this white guy, and you look out to your arm, and it's just a white guy's hand. Well, I'm that's not very immersive. And Skyrim's just done badly because you could just render the armor there. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, but... There's no armor there or a robe or anything. Yeah. And Bethesda they, just did it for a quick cash grab. Well, part of... Well, actually, dude, I, I really do I mean, mean I, this. I know, it, I know the game is it pretty done good. well, but still. Uh, but I think part of that comes into weird clipping and stuff that could come through. It's like, hey, it's just easier to show you your hands. But uh, what I was going to say, lastly, uh, uh, in regards to that, though, it still comes down to, I feel like you're viewing it still because it's just easy to do. You're still viewing that idea of those types of most controls within VR because it's where we've seen it succeed and excel. But what happens if you extract those same ideas or same basic principles of motion control and gave them to people in games that were not VR compatible? I wonder if there's games, and I, okay, say it this way. Think about the original premise for PS Move and the Wii and all that, right? And PS Move for sure, because you it, it, the Wii was just motion and it would be, look at your movement uh on a normal X and Y axis kind of, whereas the move and one of the big things that people thought was going to be a differentiator for it is that it could, it could look in real time about how you were twisting your wrist. So if you held a sword in a move game and you twisted your wrist, your hand would twist with it. Now you see that in VR right now on PS VR, uh, but then you see it in much more extreme detail in things like HTC Vive and whatnot, yeah. where they have individual finger controls and whatnot. And then, of course, the Quest, where you can literally be holding a sword, lift one finger up, and then your finger would come off the sword or something like that. <laughs> That's but what, what I, I think is right happening there. is that there are people who are not as interested in VR or at least are still skeptical about it, but like the idea of playing a game like Skyrim, not in VR, but where you could still swing your sword yourself and use your shield yourself. And that might be some of who this group is people who are wanting to play normal games in normal TV presentation, but with some really good motion control. Uh, like, could you imagine, I'm sure that this does exist. Somebody who wants to play. And I actually, I'll go back to one of mine, my experiences, uh, on the PS move, Killzone 3, I played through the entirety of the game with the PS move sharpshooter. Uh, and it was great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, and I often lament that that was one of the only games that was a shooter for that console that really from start to finish felt right. Now, PSVR, I think, immediately has already solved that with a number of great shooting games that use the PS Move uh, aim controller, and yeah. the setup is a, is a lot better with the way they chose to do it. But I, I imagine that there really is, and I would even be in that market, as crazy as it is, days where I don't feel like playing VR and putting the headset on, but I'd still like to play a shooter where I can aim at the TV and shoot and everything just with a gun, I I kind of could see myself doing that, and I could see other people wanting to do that. Yeah, I'd play Not it. a huge market, maybe. Yeah. But I still could see it. So if you look at 49%, it's probably mixed up of people who want to play games that way, but without VR. People who want to play that game, play games that way with VR and motion control. And then people who want to do something simpler, like probably control the system's UI and whatnot with their I don't hands. want to do that. That's like, that's like touch controls at that point. I don't want to do that it's either. just a really high percentage, man. It's And that, that you try to try to extract what the driving factor would be from that is so weird. Yeah. Like what drives the want for motion controls when we've seen it come and go and fail? Like clearly the European market it was also, not some abnormally large uh, market for PS move. It wasn't. It also could be a combination of people really, really, really wanting that kind of stuff back, but also thinking of VR and th just answering that question as a VR question. It very well could be, and and but if so, then that's interesting because it kind of goes away. Which you know you've you've been saying it's going to grow and that you think it's here to stay, but you're still on the idea of VR at least on the console level and even maybe on the full on level being a little bit of a 
I've said fad in the past. Yeah. I think realistically, it's just more of a niche. Yeah. That I don't think like it's ever here become, to stay, but yeah. does it ever leave niche? Product yeah. I, and I don't think it ever will. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, unless it just starts to become more affordable. Yeah. Because I think more people would get into it if they if it was more affordable. Well, clearly we've seen that with the PSVR numbers grow whenever yeah. they drop the price down. So either way, I think it's a good wrapping up point for the episode. But the community's take question, since we will be back to that next week, is going to be hopefully. a simple, simple one. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so far, our backup audio has not failed us. So we're good. As long as everything's um, not choppy in both. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's impossible, but we'll see. Um, the community's take question is simple one. For the next generation of consoles, what is the one defining feature or thing that you want to see? Is it the improved visuals that everyone else wants to see? Is it frame rate and general game performance? Is it something like resolution where it's less about detail, more about blowing that resolution up? Or is it more something on the the whims of it where you want to see what they'll do with motion controls like everybody else is excited for uh let us know uh we you can of course always if you're watching on youtube comment that down the video below if you're listening on podcast services specifically podbean you can always comment in response to the episode we'll check that out uh if you're listening to us on itunes consider giving us a review let people know what you did like about the show and let them know what you didn't so that we can see that as well and and determine uh what we want to do based off what you did and didn't like and of course it just lets other people see if you think that we are worth their time and we appreciate it when you let people do that um and of course i will go to social media and post this on wednesday as we normally do midway through the week let some people listen uh to our thoughts on it and then kind of say your own uh and of course I'm going to start ending almost every episode with this. Uh, if you like what we're doing here and you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on podcast services, uh, subscribe to us. You can listen to us every week normally. It's, we finally missed one uh, recently, uh, of course, last week. Uh, but the other thing I want to do is I want to see new blood, new faces, talk to new people. I really want to see us grow. So I urge you, anybody that you think may like the show, suggest us to them. If nothing else, just share us on your social media if you have one. Uh, you may not realize that one of your friends would be interested. They may click on it and listen. And we just, I, I like my favorite part of doing this show outside of just actually just getting to sit here and have a good time with one of my best friends is being able to kind of talk to people. And I love the people that we get to talk to right now. Uh, but it's always fun when you get somebody else new and you kind of get a different perspective in. And I feel like we see that a lot. One of the, uh, community stake from last week that didn't end up going. I just didn't really want to re uh, retread it. There were some really interesting answers and a lot of that came from people who are a little bit newer into the fold. And I like seeing those. Uh, so either way, we appreciate you guys, uh, for being, uh, sticking with us, even though we had a little weird week of stuff, but we will see you next time. Uh, and definitely we appreciate you so much. Uh, and now is the time where we thank our patrons. Yes. So y'all have a good week. You too. <laughs> Thanks to our patrons, Dan, Barber, Josh, Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Funk Turkey, Danny Villobos, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Solitary Red, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One, Neo, Tyler Powers, Dylan Kirby, and Sancock. Often. If you would like to support the show, uh, head over to patreon.com uh, slash nartech and see what we've got going on. Thank you.